guess um, I am back. I guess this is Doctor Zom, and um, I'm gonna do a little, uh, another little Zilva and Gold Zolo episode. Lots of Z's this week. Zzz, like a bee. Ah, sting you. Uh, <laughs> I'm having some coffee. It was my day off, and um, so I am bored. So I want to bring that boredom to your ear holes. Okay. Well, enough of the blather. I just went to the store and picked up a few things. Nothing uh, super interesting. I got a DVD player for some reason. I bought an LG, just a regular DVD player. It was only like 26 bucks. And I thought, okay, well, I might as, maybe I'll go ahead and get one, just leave it in the box. Because I have so many DVDs that if one day the players that I have now go kaput, I'll have a backup. And I can still watch my DVDs until I am a vegetable laying in a hospital bed or something, or an old folks home in my own filth. And by my own filth, I mean, I don't know what I mean, because I'm pretty filthy just to start with, but I'm clean. I mean, I'm physically clean. I use, I I wash, I use Irish Spring, which smells really good, and uh, yeah, you know, it's just my soul that is dirty, because I'm American. We don't care. Anyway... I've got some movies here that I uh, have been viewing. Uh, a few comic books, nothing too extreme, nothing, nothing uh, really great. I can uh, attest to uh, the the Keurig coffee maker. Uh, we have one at work, and I decided instead of drinking the swill that they make um, in the bun coffee maker in these little packs. I would just get my own and make my own individual cups. I have a roasted coconut coffee that I really like. A, what was the other one? I got a Starbucks, like a dark, a dark, uh, rich brew. And at first it was, I was like, oh my, this is really strong, but I kind of like it. You know, I put a, put a, uh, one of those, what's that sweetener called? Truvia, Stevia, either one. Uh, put one of those in there and uh, just a little bit of um, a little bit of the creamer and uh, takes take, just takes the edge off enough to that I, I kind of like it um, I've been trying to drink the decaf especially at home because I don't want to just start drinking coffee all the time uh, at, and and then with the Keurig um, it's like a, with my regular coffee cup, I only make like a half a cup. I ended up drinking like two of them, so I might as well make one cup. But anyway, um, it's better than, like I said, that stuff that they have at work is so fucking bitter, it's disgusting. And so I just wanted to say that. That's stuff for the feedback group. Thanks for the feedback. Uh, bought a wok, uh, you know, like a W-O-K wok. I just cooked a New York strip in it and ate it. I'm on my low-carb thing again. Right now, almost no carb, because uh, I need to get fit. I need to get fit and thin. I want to look ripped, so when I go to Hollywood, someone will notice notice me. Maybe not. Okay, let's get into these movies. This isn't going to be a long session, which usually means two hours instead of four. <laughs> Some of these, it's been about three weeks, I think, since I did the last show. And um, let's see here. 
I, I'm not sure if this one is one I mentioned last time, so I'll throw it in. If I did, it was probably toward the end. So bear with me if you have heard anything, because this one, it'll be short. It's been a while, so you know what I remember of it isn't going to be uh, fantastic. I uh, watched uh, 2017's The Most Hated Woman in America. Um, and this was written and directed by Tommy O'Haver. And now that I'm saying this, I think I may have mentioned this. Um, it stars uh, Melissa Leo and also has... Um, Oh, what's that guy? Josh Lucas is in it too. He's one of the you know main kind of uh, like somebody that you would recognize. Um, I did not really remember or know that much about this lady, although after the fact, I remember I'm a big fan of the old Phil Donahue talk show, and uh, I remember when I was looking up his clips, uh, looking up some um, uh, uh, seeing on YouTube. Uh, some stuff about this Madeline Murray O'Hare. And uh, I never watched the clips because I didn't know what she was all about. And uh, I guess she is an atheist and, uh, or was an atheist and, um, um, like with the Boy Scouts or in schools and stuff like that where they would make them say, uh, you know, uh, try and force upon the kids a, a Christian religious, or actually it was. Christian base, but it could be any kind of religious based theme, uh, making him say one nation under God or anything like that. And she fought against stuff like that. Uh, it actually is a, it's a Netflix original and it's one that I recommend. Like I said, it, even if you don't know about this woman, the, the actual story that unfolds is, is pretty good. And here's Mary. What are you doing there, Mary? It's raining out. So they're inside. She's got a little eye winky. Oh, what's the matter, poos? What's the matter? What's the matter with you? What's the matter? Okay, so anyway, she knows I'm recording, so she wants to be on air. Um, like I said, it's a pretty, pretty intriguing story. And Melissa Leo, if you've seen her in anything, uh, um, she's really good. So I'll move on from that. I actually went to the movie theater this week. Uh, actually, yesterday. So I'll have something to say about that later. Uh, 2015's Vice. Okay, now this is directed by Brian A. Miller. It's also, you can find it on Netflix. A lot of these movies, uh, because Netflix started their thing where you can download their their movies to your uh, tablet or your device, uh, there's a few of these that are actually from there. Um, this stars Thomas Jane and Bruce Willis and Amber Childers. Um... I didn't know anything about this, and I know that Bruce Willis usually cashes checks uh, these days in a lot of movies. So I figured he was doing his straight-to-video to, uh, or DVD deal where he is, even though he's on the cover and everything, he's not in it as much as what you would expect him to be. And it's sort of like that. He's He's got a, a fairly big part in it. Um, I would say, you know, he, he definitely is one of the main guys. Uh, um the girl has, uh, and Thomas Jane or eh, I would you know actually I would say they would maybe share equal time with all of them this is a sci-fi movie um that that kind of has it, the the theme I'm not saying the way it looks or how good it is or anything is like blade runner but it's sort of like that where um you have I, I've seen several movies and TV shows with the same kind of theme where they either clone 
people or they have replicants or something and then and and they're kind of used as either slaves or servants or whatever and then uh they either become self-aware or they try and escape their their bondage as uh Ramses did to Moses and his people he led them in then Moses led the Hebrewites into the desert Okay, so anyway, this one was, uh, you know what, for a straight-to-DVD uh, movie, it wasn't bad. It's it's worth a watch. It's average. Uh, Thomas Jane, I was trying to think throughout this whether Thomas Jane was wearing, like, a wig. Because he kind of has long hair, but then when I looked up, I even did a Google search on Thomas Jane and if he was bald or anything. It may be his hair. It, it still may be extensions because it's kind of long. Uh, and I kind of have a I, I I liked Thomas Jane in Stander, and um, there's been a few. He, he I remember the first time I saw him was in that shark movie, and I can't even remember what the name of it was. And I had never seen him before. He was like a new guy, and I was like, "Who's this guy?" He has a, he had a good look and charisma and everything. And um, so he kind of I don't know if he had a drinking problem or I know he was married to uh, Patricia Arquette for for a, a moment there for a while, um, which you know she's a little bit uh, wacky, um, but I think he's pretty good. He he does make a lot of uh, you know kind of uh, low budget movies. Uh, like I said, I, I remember the one I was talking about before where. Um, I think I don't know if it's Martian Chronicles or something like that, where uh, the world is run by corporations and there's not even like states or or um, countries anymore. It's just corporations and they're they fight each other like Coke fighting, um, you know, Microsoft or something like that. And he's in that. That was kind of it was not a great sci-fi movie, but I remember it, so it must have must have been kind of entertaining. And Ron Perlman is in that too. Um, I, like I said, I talked about that before. The next thing I watched was a uh, 2015's uh, High Rise, and I didn't know anything about this other than I knew I think some people had said they had seen it, and they either weren't impressed or uh, they didn't like it or something like that. Now, going into it blind, all I knew was that uh, Tom Hiddleston uh, was the star of it, and of course he played Loki. And I, I still haven't seen that Hank Williams uh, senior movie that he he played Hank Williams. Kind of want to see that. Um, uh, the one thing that I did not know <laughs> was this was a Ben Wheatley movie, and um, uh, I saw a field in England, and even though it fucking kind of disturbed me, uh, it I like his. And what was the one about the 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 goddamn black fucking goat. <laughs> I love it. I can't remember, but like those movies, Ben Wheatley and I'm, I think Ben Wheatley was the one that made that one too. Um, his movies have this feel of just this ominous, like evil <laughs> over his movies that, that it, it's just different. I expect when when I see that he's directing a movie that it is going to be kind of strange and it's going to be a bit disturbing and this did have some disturbing stuff in it. Um, like I said, I didn't know anything about it. I guess it's based on a on a pretty famous uh, novel and um, 
I'll be honest with you. I would recommend it just because, like I said, I I didn't read the novel, so I don't know how it holds up as far as that goes. But um, it is a crazy-ass fucking concept. Uh, These people live in this, there's big high rise it'd be like a like say okay i'm talking about you know fucking the donald but like if trump towers they build it and when they built it when they build this high rise it is built to be completely self-sustaining it has grocery stores in it it has you know just anything you can think of swimming pools movie theaters and all this stuff and these people are um they they become like where they are not trapped they're trapped by their own um i i know it's a, it's a comment on like capitalism and stuff like that but these people uh, it, it would be like on a microcosm like me uh, i always say like uh, the living in my house you know when i come home from work unless i have to cut the grass or go ride my motorcycle or something i'm i have everything i need right here you know and that's kind of how they are and then it it almost um because of how humans are in tribalism and things like that um you get to where you even within this building they develop like a class system and how high you up how high you up are living in the building you know is like the richest one percent and then to the bottom or you know less desirable even though they're you know probably rich people too because they have to be to be able to afford to live in this building they're looked down on you know it's like the chris christopherson song everybody's got to have somebody to look down on um i liked it i maybe might even watch it again because um, I just kind of thought the themes were intriguing and what they were trying to say and everything. But it's a crazy-ass motherfucking movie. Dig it. Um, next thing I watched was a movie called On the Road from 2012. And uh, I've said before on the show that, you know, just because mostly I think where I got the um, interest in the beat generation and a lot of these beat poets is from that um you know whatever happened to Kerouac or what happened to Kerouac documentary which is in full on YouTube um so I uh, one of Jack Kerouac's most famous you know uh novels is um um on the road and so I thought well you know hey I'll check this out and and uh Another reason that I wanted to watch this, because I didn't really recognize a lot of people in it, uh, was that um, I saw that Viggo Mortensen had a part in it a long time ago uh, in maybe like a movie magazine or something, but I didn't really know anything about the movie. Um, And then when I started watching it, um, Garrett Hedlund plays uh, Dean Moriarty, who was Jack Kerouac's kind of a character based on Neil Cassidy and I say kind of uh, based on him is because they said a lot of people really thought that um, you know Kerouac was just writing down his experiences and then just changing the names but it's kind of like Pete Gent when he did North Dallas 40 people got pissed because he was saying and they were like well that's uh, Seth um, uh the quarterback on North Dallas 40 that's Don Meredith 
but in reality, yes, a lot of the stuff might have been based on on things that he saw and did, but they're not the same person. Everything is not supposed to be like everything Dean Moriarty does is not Neil Cassidy. Everything Sal Paradise does is not Jack Kerouac, and so on and so on. Uh, you get all the full meal deal in this. You get um, Jack Kerouac, Neil Cassidy, uh, Allen Ginsberg, uh, and William S. Burroughs, who's Vigo Mortensen, uh, which is he he ha- is like a uh, su- supporting character. Uh, has a, f- a few scenes in it, but of course, it's just he's really good. I love Vigo. This is I enjoyed it. Um, as far as comparing this to like Big Sur and some of the other movies about uh, the beat uh, beat poets and them hanging out together and everything, this is probably one of the better ones. It doesn't, um, uh, like I said, well, it's talking about Thomas Jane. I can't even remember the name of that movie I just watched recently that Thomas Jane uh, was in, and he actually played uh, the Dean Moriarty. Uh, character based on a book that, uh, that um, Neil Cassidy actually wrote. And that one was just okay. Like I said, they kind of fall into the trap of trying to put the beat uh, poetry into the movie. And it gets a little bit, you know, if, if you don't know uh, the backstory to a lot of these people, and even though I do because I've watched those doc- uh, several documentaries about it, they it can be kind of. I think I think they maybe lose a little bit, and they forget that it's entertainment, and they're supposed to be you know entertaining you instead of just showing these guys walking around and playing a voiceover of somebody talking. You know, yeah, I walked down the road, Dean Moriarty, Dean Moriarty. You know, and trying to show that that I don't mind them showing the whole culture, like them going to the bars and and hanging out and you know f- having orgies and screwing or whatever they're doing and getting drunk and writing and being inspired. But again, when you're watching a movie like that, if if you want to hear the the poetry or the novels or or just the books or whatever, read those. This is about the people, and and you want to see. I think people would be are more interested in actually seeing, you know, a a drama and and about them as a, as people and what kind of people they are. But like I said, I like this one. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, directed by Walter Sales, um, and uh, that Garrett um, Headland, which was I was going to say before. Uh, as soon as you start watching this, if you have seen uh, Lewin. Uh, uh, the Lewin Davis movie, uh, he plays Johnny Five in that. So he's it's kind of cool because I thought Johnny Five in the Lewin Davis movie was sort of like a Neil Cassidy kind of a character or a Jack Kerouac kind of character. And so then, and Johnny Five is just a small part of that movie. And so you kind of just, you get a lot more of him in this. And uh, I like that guy. He's a good actor. Uh, Sam Riley plays, you know, I was going to say Kerouac, but I guess it's Sal Paradise. And uh, to be honest with you, one of the weakest parts of this movie, I thought, and uh, I, I kind of read that some other people thought the same thing, was uh, Kristen Stewart. Um, there's kind of a a love triangle uh, go, that went on between this uh, 
Lou Anne Henderson, Neil Cassidy, and Jack Kerouac. And Lou Anne, even though Neil Cassidy was married, and Amy Adams is in this too, even though Neil Cassidy is married, um, you know, he liked to fuck around, and he had this young underage girl that he screwed around with uh, when they would go on the road and everything, and he kind of led her on and everything. But she was always, from what I understand, was always... Um, described as being this really gorgeous beautiful woman that like no one could resist and she was real wild and everything and then they picked Kristen Stewart who is not you know gorgeous beautiful or anything she looks like she's just a stoner who's high all the time I like I said I like the movie but I thought she was probably the weak part Alice Braga can't remember who I how I know that name. Kirsten Dunst is in. There's a lot of people that are in it, and I think a lot of people wanted to be attached to it just because you know the whole uh, Jack Kerouac thing, and it's just a you know something that I think that people are like, oh my God, they're going to make this movie. I, I got I want to be a part of, it. especially when they start seeing all the people that are in it. Okay, next thing I watched was 1972's Pancho Villa. Uh, this was written and directed by uh, Eugenio Martin. And based on the screenplay by Julian Zimet, um, I guess uh, Eugenio Martin uh, goes by Gene Martin. <laughs> Good old I am um, the One of the reasons I wanted to watch this is, uh, first of all, I think it's on YouTube for free. But when I saw the the three lead, the three main actors in this, you have Telly Savalas. You have Clint Walker and you have Chuck Connors, all in the same fucking movie. Okay, now, if you saw the movie, I think it was uh, Via Rides, where Yul Brynner plays Pancho Villa, and um, Robert Mitchum is a, an American mercenary that helps Via, kind of almost like the same, uh, uh, like uh, Lee Marvin and. Um, uh, Burt Lancaster in The Professionals. There were American military guys that went down there and, you know, helped Pancho Villa. And I'm sure there were probably some on the uh, on the uh, other side that were helping the government. Uh, if you watch, like, well, even The Wild Bunch. Um, but Clint Walker plays the kind of mercenary uh, milit- uh, American military guy that rides with Pancho Villa and his... Uh, I was going to say gang, but, you know, it's kind of like uh, when people talk about if, if they were today they and, and um, you know, the government is the establishment, they would say that Pancho Villa probably was a terrorist, you know. But he was, you know, it's like the one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. And so they were fighting against oppression and everything. Some people say, you know, I guess that would be like a propaganda thing that Pancho Villa was nothing but a bandit and um, – um, Emilio de Zapata, um, but he's helping Pancho Villa, who's Telly Savalas, and and they even come up with a reason why Telly Savalas has why Pancho Villa has a shaved head because Telly Savalas always has a shaved head. Uh, Chuck Connors, um, he, I don't, I would, I don't know if I would say he plays against type because I've seen him kind of play a crazy fucker before, but he is a, a an American. Um, 
uh, the leader of the American military, and he is uh, not only an asshole, but he's like a, a zealot. Uh, like he's so crazy. He's the kind of guy that if there were a thousand you know machine guns lined up and you had to charge right you know across a giant open field, he would have like a gleam in his eyes and say, you know, come on, men. And it, it, this movie is really good. And it's it's quirky because it is really violent. It's ultra violent, but it has a lot of comedy in it. So uh, some of the violence is done almost like in a comedic way. Like someone, like a, a bunch of guys will come in, and Clint Walker or Pancho Villa or somebody will fucking just you know be shooting them and killing them. But it's done like almost in a kind of a funny way. So anyway, I recommend this. I liked it. It's a spaghetti western, but it's it's pretty good. And like I said, it's free, so you can't lose by watching it on YouTube. Next movie, next up on the list. Um, I was reading our, our, some of our reviews on iTunes, and the one, one we, all, we only have like a couple of bad reviews, but the one guy that just reviewed it recently that gave us a bad review said that you know two assholes are on there and i don't want to hear about their fucking personal life they went like 20 minutes before they even said what movie they were going to review and what movies and everything well to that asshole if you're still listening number one you know fucking suck my fucking balls and number two um on these solo episodes and and i think loaf and i had talked about this before a lot of people had commented that you know uh, getting away from the, um, you know, picking like a one or two movies to be the main movies to review and just talking about the movies that we each have watched that they kind of like that more. And I, you know, remember the format, we got the format a lot from a gentleman's guide and, um, I found with the format, nothing against them because, you know, I love those guys. Um, but if you pick like two movies to, to concentrate on and everything um, to talk in depth about uh, if I haven't seen those movies then the in-depth conversation is either going to be spoilery or I'm not going to get a lot of the stuff because I haven't seen them it may want, make me want to go see them but like with this these solo episodes and what we've been talking about you know just kind of giving a little short review of each thing that we've been watching uh then it's kind of more of a, a of a um, a way to kind of whet somebody's appetite to say hey maybe you want to go see this or maybe this is a piece of shit hang on a second what are you doing in there mary are you sniffing around with that big snoot big wet snoot this dog is the happiest dog she is always smiling uh she loves to cuddle i got i uh, woke up to go to work and i have like an hour before work and i was still tired so i set my alarm and laid down on the loves i of course instead of being able to lay down on my couch i have to lay down on the love seat because the dogs lay on the couch she leaped on me like jimmy superfly snooker and it was funny because when she leaps on me like that, it just, for some reason, it just cracks me up. I don't expect it. As long as she doesn't tromp on my nuts. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay, next thing I watched was 2013's Devil's Knot. Um, and this was directed by Atom. And this is not Adam. This is Atom, as in A-T-O-M, Egoyan. Uh, written by Paul Harris uh, Boardman. 
and uh, Scott Derrickson. And this stars Colin Firth, uh, Reese Witherspoon, which, uh, you know, believe me, I'm not the first person to jump on a Reese Witherspoon movie. One of the reasons I watched this, number one, it's on Netflix uh, Instant uh, uh, for free and available for free download. But I got on a Colin Firth kick uh, because I just think he's everything I've seen him in lately. I just really think he's great. Also has um, the little chick from The Killing who played Lizzie in that <laughs> that goddamn uh, what the fuck is that Arnold Schwarzenegger movie? Yeah, that guy. Um, what's her name? Uh, Muriel Enos. She's in it too. What this is about, and I never watched the documentary. This is about the uh, West Memphis Three, uh, and I know there was like a or a big documentary about. Um, I think there was a couple of them. One of them was about uh, when they were arrested and prosecuted and about the murders and everything. And then they came back and I believe did a second one maybe. And I'm just going, you know, from memory here, so it may not be correct, uh, where they, you know, started looking into it and saying, wait a minute, there's some shit going on here. So if you know that story, um, it kind of revolves around the satanic panic kind of a thing and I may have talked about this on the last show because now that I'm saying that I sort of seem to remember talking about Colin Firth and about uh, the satanic panic um, back in the day when uh, Geraldo and uh, Sally Jesse Raphael and all these shows were on uh, they had some um, Satanism stuff that really got ratings where people would come on and say yeah I was a member of satanic cult and uh you know, they used to take babies and cut them open and, uh, and, and animals and have sex with animals. If you watch Bill Maher's Religious, uh, he stops at a truck stop um, um, chapel and talking to these guys. And this guy starts talking about why he is a, a born-again Christian. And he's like, I was a member of a satanic sect. And, uh, yeah, we did all kinds of things and orgies and human sacrifices and sacrificing animals. And um, it kind of came out um, that a lot of this is bullshit. Um, And uh, there were some books written. Um, I can't remember what the one specifically was called, but it was by a woman who said she was a sex slave. And it's almost like uh, being abducted by aliens and anal probed and everything. And when they had these Christian bookstores, and I remember when they would have these Christian bookstores and stuff in the malls and everything. And uh, I actually went into them a couple of times. And I think I actually bought like a uh, a book about... um, maybe about like Satanism or something. I was looking for Anton LaVey's book and shit. And that's what they said. They said, you know, that these Christian bookstores loved uh, this kind of stuff because people wouldn't go into a Christian bookstore to buy um, like, you know, a Bible or uh, stuff about, I don't know what hell else would be in a Christian bookstore. But they like these kind of salacious uh, uh, books about like uh demons i remember reading in one one time where they said it said in this book you know that when you are raped by a demon yeah, their penis it feels like uh like as cold as ice going in you and everything and i'm like and you know you're reading that and you're thinking okay well it's in a book <laughs> you think what the fuck but i think also that comes on the on the um 
on the heels of like the exorcist and the omen and and movies like that where you know people would see these movies and, and then yeah, some of the ones that you see today were uh emily the emily rose one where you know they said she was possessed and they did a a, a uh, an exorcism and the girl died and then when they go back and look at it she had epilepsy and her parents were fucking morons and and uh uh, star, you know, she was starving to death and malnourished. She died, I think, from like uh, uh, dehydration and malnourishment because they thought if they fed the devil, you know, and so they ended up killing their own daughter because they're fucking morons. So anyway, this is about that. It's about the the court case and about these, you know, these guys are these young kids are into like goth and into heavy metal and everything. And um, um, the. I'm just doing a quick thing where I'm trying to think of the podcasts that I used to listen to. They would talk about like uh, the Satanic Panic. They talked about uh, the, uh, the the JFK assassination and E. Howard Hunt. All these different things, um, Ruby Ridge, and but they were they weren't like a conspiracy podcast. They were kind of a debunking conspiracy podcast. And I love that podcast. Off the top of my head. Um, out there radio is what it's called and uh it's this uh, raymond wiley and i can't remember what the other guy's name was they did this podcast uh and they were from uh the um like uh, athens georgia and they did it from the university down there and then after a while it's just like every other podcast it ran its course they have a new uh i think raymond maybe one of them has it there were two guys i can't remember the other guy's name they have a new pod or one of them has a new podcast and it's it's not very frequent i still um that podcast, I it's kind of like Projection Booth. I can go back and just download all the old episodes, keep them on file, because I can just... There's Number one, there's a lot of them, but number two, if I go on a road trip or something, I can just listen to them. Uh, I find a lot of them interesting. Uh, there are some of those that really got me into uh, to doing research and looking up documentaries about like Jack Parsons, um, and Scientology and stuff like that. Just stuff that I'm interested in, not because I want to join, but because I'm I, I'm just interested in like uh either interesting people, no matter how crazy they are or how how uh the establishment painted them as crazy and maybe they were a little bit but not as much. And so anyway, they talked about the satanic panic and I think they may have even talked about this a little bit where uh one of the guys on the show was actually saying that um you know, when he was in school, uh, he wore all the black and uh, listened to heavy metal, and and um, he, his family didn't go to church and everything, and they lived in the South. I think it might have been Raymond Wiley, and uh, he said that uh, you know he was like an outcast, and these these people from the church, the uh, the the boys that's parents were like a uh, big Southern Baptist that were uh, the church was really big down there, it probably still is, but. Uh, he said, you know, they would come to my house and try and, you know, convert me to uh, kind of like when you see the Mormons or the uh, Latter-day Saints or well, that's like, I think that is the Mormons. Um, but they come around and they testify to you on your front porch and all this shit. Well, they would do that to him. And he said, and then the same same boys when he would go to school would call him faggot and threaten to beat him up and everything else. Um, so 
uh, and he was, you know, they would play dun- and, and Dungeons and Dragons was another thing that was a big thing involved, uh, you know, and, and that they would say, oh, you know, Lucifer and Ouija boards and all this shit. So this movie kind of has a lot to do with that. There's a lot, there's a lot of court stuff and investigations and things like that. Reese Witherspoon, like I said, I'm not a big fan of hers. She plays uh, one of the mothers of the one of the boys that um, that it, it was killed. Um, there is like one scene in this uh, that just really just chilled me to the fucking bone. Uh, but uh, this is pretty good. Like I said, uh, you know, kind of average. Not not. It's a little bit better than average. It's worth a watch. And especially if you have seen those documentaries, which I would like to check out. Uh, I have not seen them and, and uh, see what the um, what the real story is. The real story. Because, you know, all documentaries are true. They seek out the real story. And uh, next thing I watched was uh, I, Anna from 2012. Uh, this was directed by Barnaby South... Uh, Southcomb, Southcomb, uh, written by Elsa Lewin and uh, Barnaby Southcomb, and it stars Charlotte Rampling and Gabriel Byrne. Uh, one of the reasons I watched this, of course, was Charlotte Rampling. I've been a big fan of her since like Night Porter and um, Zardoz. Uh, she's been in a lot of movies. I just think I, I really like her as an actress. I, uh, I mean, you know, my God, she was just a beauty when she was younger. And uh, uh, Gabriel Byrne is in this, and uh, you know, I've always liked him too, all the way back to like Excalibur, and when he played the devil in End Times with Arnold Schwarzenegger, he was an evil motherfucker. Honor Blackman is in this, who was in. Um, uh, one of the James Bond movies. I believe that might have been from Russia with Love. Um, so anyway, this movie... I'll tell you what, people. This one kind of fucking broke my heart. Uh, there were parts in it where I I was uh, pretty... You know, it was a dusty theater, um, and maybe you know, it's like I said, it, I've said before, it depends on sometimes how you're feeling personally, how a movie might affect you. You might like it, you might not like it. Whereas in another, you know, when in, when you're in a better mood or something, um, I thought this was really good. I didn't know anything about it. Here, the synopsis is. A noir thriller told from the point of view of a femme fatale who falls for a detective in charge of a murder case. Um, that synopsis isn't really that good. Uh, when I read that synopsis, I thought, well, you know, man, I want to watch this. Sounds, you know, uh, a noir. Uh, it's not really that much like that, I don't think. Um, but I liked it. And, uh,. Uh, Charlotte Rampling was excellent in it, and she's getting up there in years, and I'm glad she's still working and making, like, uh, good drama. So move on from that. I recommend that one. That one also is on Netflix uh, for free and for free download, or at least it was. Okay, moving on. People, yeah, see? Uh, watch this movie called Papa Hemingway in Cuba from 2015. And it was directed by Bob Yeri and written by Dene Bart uh, Petteklerk. And I believe uh, Dene Bart Petteklerk is um, the guy that is, uh, Giovanni Ribisi plays in the movie, and his name in the movie is Ed Myers, because I guess they decided that uh, Ed Myers is a lot easier to say than Dene Bart Petteklerk. Um, this young. Um, um, writer for a newspaper uh, writes about how Ernest Hemingway um, inspired him to become a writer and even from the time he was a small child uh, reading Ernest Hemingway's books and everything and um, 
Ernest Hemingway at the time, uh, and this is a true story, uh, is living in Cuba before the uh, uh, Castro Revolution and everything. Of course, like I said, terrorism or a freedom fighter. Um, and I am interested in that time period, um, either during or before the Cuban Revolution, or even after, uh, immediately after, where you have a lot of stuff with uh, power plays going on, and Che uh, Guevara, and, uh, you know, when, uh, it, what was the movie? Oh, uh, Topaz, uh, the um, uh, Alfred Hitchcock movie. I really like it, because it takes place in, in, at the time before we uh, did the... Um, the boycott of Cuba and the all the Cuban Missile Crisis and everything. So even though Castro took over Cuba, um, we were still talking to them. And um, in Topaz, you a lot of it revolves around um, when um, Castro and his people, still dressed in their military gear, still with the long beards and everything, come to uh, New York and they stay in a hotel in Harlem because they want to address the UN. And it's a really interesting time. And another movie that is like a companion piece would be Cuba with Sean Connery, uh, which takes place when uh, Castro and his people are just um, out in the uh, jungles kind of causing trouble and everything and Batista is still in charge you have the casinos and everything and they bring Sean Connery in who is a, a uh, British mercenary to help uh, kind of uh, be an advisor to uh, Batista's troops and that's a, that's a pretty good movie too um, um, love Sean Connery and everything so anyway and, and another again another companion piece to this um, uh, is the um, uh, George C. Scott. Hang on one second. I think it's is it Old Man in the Sea? That nah, that's uh, uh, what's his face? <laughs> oh Jesus. Anyway, let's see. Because uh, this is a good one that I kind of wanted to recommend, maybe if my computer will work. For some reason, on my desktop, which is what I do this um, do this show on. I don't know if I got some kind of malware. I shouldn't have because I have my malware stuff running. Um, we had a um, only on the guest account. Uh, I couldn't bring up Google. Um, so I was either thinking um, I was either thinking a uh, malware, but I run all my scans and everything. Everything's negative, but I have. Um, uh, crap cleaner and sometimes if you analyze and run the cleaner to get rid of shit uh, you can delete stuff that you need <laughs> and uh, I may have deleted something that uh, just under the guest account that, that will not allow me to use Google um, so anyway that, the movie I'm thinking of is called Islands in the Stream and it's an Ernest Hemingway uh, uh, based movie from 1977 with George C. Scott that's a real good one uh, if you have daddy issues or whatever, it's it's definitely worth watching. Um, so let's get back to uh, after saying all that. Uh, the reason all that came up was because I was talking about Papa Hemingway in Cuba, which stars Giovanni Ribisi as Ed Myers, aka Dene Barte Petitclerc, uh, Jolie Richardson, uh, who you if you watch Nip Tuck played uh, the wife on Nip Tuck, uh, and she is. Uh, one of the Redgrave sisters, 
daughter. I can't remember which one. Uh, and Adrian Sparks plays Ernest Hemingway. Now, when I saw uh, the trailer for this and the box cover art, and when I first started watching it, I thought, um, hmm, this might be right up my alley. Another one is, uh, rum. was it Rum Diaries with uh, Johnny Depp? Um kind of took place in the you know the pre-castro cuba thing which is cool um but this movie could have been a lot better um it's based on the experiences of like i said this guy uh admires and he wrote that article about how hemingway inspired him from the time he was a little kid to become a writer and he read all of hemingway's books he would uh type the type out the books uh, himself to learn the style and the flow and all this net. Hemingway saw this article that he wrote and actually contacted this guy and said, you know, Hemingway's fucking famous back then. And all of a sudden this guy gets a letter from Ernest Hemingway saying, Hey, come, why don't you come down to Cuba and hang out? So he becomes a family friend of, you know, Ernest Hemingway and his wife. And uh, they're down there and swimming in their pool naked and, you know, kind of free spirited. But Hemingway is a macho motherfucker and uh, he's involved in some stuff down there which you also see in uh, islands in the stream um and but to be honest with you like i said again this one uh, another netflix uh free uh download and instant watch is just a little bit above average maybe just average the guy uh adrian sparks who plays hemingway looks like hemingway and he does a a serviceable job. I mean, he could have done worse, but he, I think he maybe kind of, I don't know if I would say he blew it, but I don't think that as an actor, he had the chops. Uh, and I hate to put anybody down as an actor because I, I did not know Ernest Hemingway and I don't know, but, um, you know, I, I just think, uh, it could have been better. I thought the the, the everything that it revolves around and the scenery and everything and and the time period and everything is really cool but i just like i said i thought it could have been better uh one of the um people in this that shows up that i thought did a good job with a smaller part is james remar is in it and he plays santo traficante who was a, a mafia boss uh of louise of louisiana and i think probably like uh a little bit of Florida and everything kind of implicated in the, um, in the JFK assassination. Uh, uh, Robert Kennedy had Traficante uh, deported out of the country and all this shit. Uh, but Remar does a good job as, as uh, Traficante. He has a small, or, uh, you know, little scene there with uh, Giovanni Rabisi. Um, if you're into that time period, like I said, if you're into, you know, kind of the, the personality, the, the cult of personality of Hemingway and his writing and everything. Um, like I said, I, I just kind of wish they would have done this, uh, with a, I think Rabizi was good, and uh, I don't know. Like I said, I think it, uh, maybe a better cast. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it, maybe it was just what they had to work with. So I'll give them a, uh, a not a pass, but uh, an out. Uh, next thing I watched, um, I am a big fan of Dirk Bogard. I have said before, and if you are a fan of Dirk Bogard. Um, who was starred with Charlotte Rampling in The Night Porter. Um, 
there's a lot of his movies on YouTube for free. And they're really well done. They're interesting. We covered one of his movies where he kind of played the butler slash valet for a guy and kind of was a ended up uh, controlling the guy and was a dick. I can't remember what it was called, though. Now I have to look back through our archives. I'm not going to do that right now. But I found this movie called Simba, uh, which was from 1955 and directed by Brian Desmond Hurst, written by Anthony Perry, that's uh, who the novel, wrote the novel, and the screenplay is by John Baines. Stars uh, Dirk Bogard, Virginia McKenna, and Basil Sidney. Um, also, what the frag is that one guy's name that's in this that uh, I always like? Uh, I probably won't see it now. Anyway, um, another reason I wanted to watch this other than I like Dirk, Dirk Bogart is, um, because I've said this before on the show too, is, you know, I'm interested in the, in the, uh, time periods, um, the, in the, the, say like the fifties, uh, through the 70s uh, in Africa with, uh, the, you know, the, like mercenaries and a lot of the stuff that was going on there with Lumumba and the Mau Mau's and uh, uh, the Congo, uh, the Congolese crisis, uh, Warren Zevon's song, Roland the Headless Thompson Gunner, you know, um, uh, Dogs of War, Wild Geese, um, and um, the movie Lumumba. Uh, and a lot of the documentaries that I that I've watched on the subject, and uh, Simba is um, based on you know that kind of time period in Kenya in 1950, and also um, was the uh, Rod Taylor movie Dark of the Sun with Jim Brown, uh, kind of based on that time. Um, uh, in Dark of the Sun, I think the Simbas were the uh, the group of, you know, well, like I said, whether they're terrorists or whether they're freedom fighters or whatever, um, that um, are trying to take back their country from uh, the European interests uh, and had some really savage stuff that went on. And uh, uh, when I say savage, I don't mean that in a uh, derogatory or racist term, but I mean in a brutality thing. Uh, uh, there were a couple of those documentaries um, that uh, they, they weren't, it wasn't Faces of Death. But it was sort of something like that where uh, they covered like really brutal things like that. And uh, uh, one of them had a lot of stuff about uh, the Simbas back then. Well, uh, in Kenya, they had the Mau Mau Rebellion. And the Mau Mau were um, these, it would be like the Viet Cong in Vietnam. You know, during the day, they're all, you know, just uh, people doing their jobs and everything. And then, you know, they would, uh, or the Ku Klux Klan or something where they all, kind of uh, uh, um, uh, congregate together and go on raids on these um, farms. These European people would have these farms. And and um, even in the documentaries, um, uh, the the driver, the, uh, uh, the leader, the driver, and the driver's wife, and those ones that Nick... Um, what the hell is that motherfucker's name? Um... Nick uh, Broomfield um, those documentaries he did sort of uh, it's a question of the Afrikaans and the uh, Boer War that came way before that and everything but you know it's it's just over and over and over the native uh, Africans uh, black Africans uh, trying to take back their country from these Europeans whether it's Dutch, German, British or whoever um, 
and they kind of do the chicken and the egg argument well my fucking family has farmed this land for 200 years and you know they may have taken it from the zulus another movie zulu with michael kane or uh what was it the zulu zulu dawn with burt lancaster going way back and and it's almost like the afghani uh or the iraqi sunni versus uh shia where the one or yugoslavia uh, where they said you know the the uh, serbs and the Christians, or whoever, or the Serbs, or the Christians, or uh, the, the the Christians versus the Muslims in Yugoslavia. Your family killed my family. Well, my family was here first. Well, your family was here first. Or you go back to like uh, some of the Native American uh, movies. Um, um, but it's that age-old thing where I was here first. No, well then my family came and they were here and then you killed and raped my family well then you came back and killed and raped my family so anyway this this movie simba it's a pretty good movie uh it is in color uh from 1955 um dirk bogart is coming to either stay with or visit his brother who owns uh, uh, uh like a farm or has a land in uh Ken- kenya i don't want to say kenya kenya and um before he gets there the Mau Mau have went on a raid and killed his brother and then it's just a, the whole movie is based on um, these European settlers uh, I wouldn't even say you know when you say settlers you think of you know in the early times these people are rich uh, farmers and uh, they have uh, black African uh, uh, natives uh, native Africans that that work for them and everything, and some of them might be uh, part of the Mau Mau, and some of them might not be, and uh, they're all scared because when they come in and raid these places, they kill everybody. You know, there's like I said, you know, rape and murder and everything else. But I recommend this one. I I liked it. It's not great, but uh, it's it's definitely worth a watch. It's free, and uh, I think it was done pretty well. I liked it. Um, Next thing I watched was a documentary called Hitler of the Andes. I watched a couple of uh, documentaries on the Netflix for free deal um, about Hitler escaping um, uh, the bunker and living in Argentina. This you know, Hitler of the Andes. Declassified FBI documents trace an 11-year investigation of rumors that Hitler survived Germany's defeat in 1945, escaping via U- U-boat to Argentina. Um my God, when you look at all the Germans living in Argentina, all the rich Germans, very rich, rich Germans, and uh, uh, Dr. Mengele, who was never captured and just died drowning when he had a stroke or a heart attack swimming, um, and all these all, all these Nazis that did escape through the Rat Line and the Odessa and all that shit, the Despeder, and uh, with the help of the Catholic Church to Argentina, where... Uh, you know, there was not just Juan Perón, but there were several leaders down there of different countries that were, you know, believed in fascism and uh, were dictators and strong men. And I'm sure all the Nazi gold that was brought there <laughs> didn't hurt uh, to bribe people. So some of these are fairly interesting. And, you know, uh, Stalin didn't help because uh, even though the Russians uh, got to the bunker, uh, well, we decided hey you know after Stalingrad and all the stuff that the Russians went through we're going to let them uh, take Berlin and stay back and uh, so they they got went got to the bunker first Stalin put out these things that uh you know Hitler had escaped and uh 
and all this shit and that the the bodies they found in the bunker even the burned ones that they thought were Ava Braum and um, Hitler were not and you know they were not Lisa says I hit her I did not hit her I did not so anyway I threw that in there um, uh, there's a new James Franco movie coming out about uh, Tommy Wizu and uh, The Room that looks kind of you know I don't know entertaining maybe <laughs> I did not. I did not hurt. It did not hit her. Oh, hi, Mark. Um, moving on, the next thing I watched did not have Tommy Wiseau, Hitler, or James Franco in it. But it is the 2016 movie, The Lost City of Zed. Uh, and um, I had heard some people say, you know, this did not do very well at the box office, I guess. And uh, I heard some people say, hey, you know, this wasn't a bad movie. So, you know, why don't you give it a chance and check it out? The stars Charlie Hunnam and Robert Pattinson and Sienna Miller. Um, I think Sienna Miller was in... Oh, she was in uh, High Rise also. And Lair Cake, which, you know, I only saw Lair Cake one time and I did not like it. Uh, maybe I need to go back and watch that because a lot of people say they really like that one. Um, I'm all over the place, people. A true-life drama centering on British explorer Colonel Percival Fawcett, uh, who disappeared while uh, searching for a mysterious city in the Amazon in the 1920s. Uh, directed by and written by James Gray and uh, based uh, on a book by David Gran. Uh, Charlie Hunnam... I like Charlie Hunnam in Green Street Hooligans. I liked him in Pacific Rim. Of course, in um, Sons of Anarchy, he was good as Jax Tella. And um, he was also good in that um, movie I talked about last week with uh, Olivia Wilde, Chris Christopherson, Sissy Spacek, and all that. He, they are trying to make him a star he's getting a lot of pushes and a lot of tries and stuff but it seems like he i mean like i said the pacific rim for me i loved it and i thought it was good and everything um i'm not sold on him though yet i think that he might be one of these guys that uh they're trying and trying and trying to get him a big starring role in a huge successful movie like maybe put him in a fucking uh avengers movie or something who could he play in the avengers is like a blonde haired swaggering guy i don't know clay quartermain from shield <laughs> maybe i don't know no because he had he was like big teeth smile and you know he would be like burt lancaster um but anyway the Lost City of Zed, or if you are an American, you would say The Lost City of Z. Um, I think a lot of people might not have known, or ha- I, d- I don't think this was marketed very well about what it was about or anything, and people didn't know what it was about. Um, it's one of the, and, and even though I re- I didn't really read up on it beforehand, but I kind of had an idea of what it was about, I thought the whole movie was going to be more or less, uh, you know, them in the rainforest or in the jungle like Amazon's rainforest I wanted to say jungle um, that um, a lot of it was going to be it but there's a lot of it where it goes back and forth they go they come back they go they come back they go again they come back and you have um, 
you know, them making their discoveries and, and having some failures and some, uh, you know, piece of shit, rich people that finance their, 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 uh, uh, adventure or their, um, no discoveries or explorations. I was looking for explorations. For some reason, I started thinking of Lewis and Clark and Daniel Boone and all that shit. Um, it's a pretty good movie. It's not great. Again, this is another one uh, that is, uh, to me, a little bit better than average. Um, I don't think it even gets up to the seven range, but it's worth a watch. It's long, but um, eh, like I said, the the uh, beautiful scenery. It's an inter- It is an interesting story. I think Brad Pitt was thinking about playing um, the part of Fawcett and uh, pulled out, and then they got Charlie Hunnam. So that's a that's a, kind of another one of those deals where uh, you know you see throughout cinema history where a big star will be. Um, you know, kind of, what was the one I just was reading about uh, not that long ago where they had Steve McQueen picked to play a part and he was going to have to go uh, to another country and he said, well, if we're going to do this, you have to give Ali McGraw a, uh, oh, it was a sorcerer. Uh, And um, Friedkin wanted Steve McQueen to play the Roy Scheider part and uh had the whole thing planned you know for steve mcqueen and um oh um a couple of other really good actors to play the other parts lino ventura and somebody else and then steve mcqueen told Friedkin, he goes hey man you know um I think that might have been around the time when he was supposedly when he had retired from acting, but he said he would come back and play this part. But you have to give Ali McGraw a role in the movie, and Friedkin said, "Listen, you know, there's no role for a woman in this movie." Now there is a small part, and he said that you know the, the woman that uh, Roy Scheider, the that works in the kind of like uh, I don't know if she's pro- pro- probably a prostitute down in uh, South America. But it's just a really small part, and he goes, no, 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 something better. He goes, well, I don't have a part for a woman, and I'm not going to write a fucking part for a woman. He said, well, make her an associate producer. And he goes, well, you know, that's a bullshit thing. He goes, you know, just a bullshit title. He wanted to have a reason for her to be on the set and get paid, I think. Uh, and Friedkin said, you know what, fuck this shit. <laughs> I think he just, I think Friedkin just got annoyed and said, you know what, fuck it. Fuck Steve McQueen, I don't need him. And... <laughs> There's a good interview with uh with Friedkin on uh on YouTube. So I just I have this fresh in my memory. And um Roy Scheider I think was just coming off of maybe the um uh French Connection and um and Jaws. So he said, "Well, let's get Roy Scheider." And he, the only guy that he had picked specifically and kept was the guy that played the uh Middle Eastern terrorist uh, I don't know if he was supposed to be Palestinian maybe uh the uh, the younger guy uh he had picked him and that's who he stuck with for that role and he talked about how um um the movie was not a remake of Wages of Fear uh it was the same premise and everything but he wanted to explore uh, some different things and uh and uh you know I I like watching some of those documentaries with Friedkin and uh I was watching some with uh Nicholas Vending Refn and um some other people uh, off the top of my head I'm, I I can't remember all of them and Criterion has a um some videos on there where 
they have um, some of these directors and a few of these actors and stuff go to, uh, I guess, Criterion must actually have, I don't know if it's one of their distributors or what, uh, and they go into the room that has all their movies, you know, and uh, um, like Refn or um, the guy that did Enter the Void. God damn it. Let me look it up. And you guys are going to be saying, it's so-and-so, it's so-and-so. Um, Casper No Way. Um, I got it before I even... They have them go into this room and like pick out some movies because I, I think they tell them, hey, you know, um, um, if you want to do this video or whatever, you know, go out and uh, pick out some movies for yourself or whatever. They pick them out uh, and they do like almost like this, except as a video with like recommendations of movies that they like. Hey, check this out. And uh, some of them are, uh, I like some of like uh, Noe and uh, and uh, Refn because they pick interesting things. I've only watched a few of them and, and Friedkin does it too. Um, but I don't want to see like um, Sean Patrick, whatever the fuck his name is, or Mark Wahlberg going in and picking out, you know, movies that he likes, you know. I, I want to hear some intelligent conversation. <laughs> okay, so anyway, let's move on from uh, Lost City of Zed. Eh, like I said, it's worth a watch, uh, a one-timer. I, I don't think I'll go back and revisit it. Um, and it's... Um, like I said, it's a pretty long movie. It's kind of like a, 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 a I'm not sure if I would say epic. It didn't have a it didn't have an intermission in the middle of it. Okay, next thing I watched was 2016's uh, Norman: The Rise, The Moderate Rise and Tragic Fall of a New York Fixer. Uh, that's the original title. It just goes by Norman because that's pretty fucking long. Um, this is I didn't know it was rated R. Um, this movie was written and directed by Joseph Cedar. And uh, stars Richard Gere, uh, Lior Ashkenazi, and Michael Sheen. Um, I like this. I thought um, I had heard some things about it. Um, like I've said before on the show, and if I say that a couple more times during this show, it'll get annoying. Um, I like some of Richard Gere's work uh, here in the past, say, 10 years or so. Uh, he picks some interesting projects. Um, nothing that's like, you know, like great movies that you're like, oh my God, I'm blown away, but some pretty good movies, you know, whereas Bruce Willis and these guys are making these straight to DVD shit movies. Richard Gere might make movies that don't have a huge budget or, but they're, they're interesting and they're, you know, smart movies that, um, anyway, um, mostly with the song. Norman Oppenheimer is a small-time operator who befriends a young politician at a low point in his life. Three years later, when the politician becomes an influential world leader, Norman's life dramatically changes for the uh, better and worse. Um, with all the Trump stuff, and, and it's not just the Trump stuff, it's a, it's a, a lot of kind of a political thing where you hear about um, lobbyists and things like that, and that's sort of what Richard Gere's character is he's the kind of guy that um, he is a fucking networker and he networks like crazy he gets in with anybody that has any kind whether it's in the church or synagogues or uh, local um, local politicians or local any you know anybody that can do a favor for this person who he's trying to get to do a favor for this person this person this person this person this person and he's a really interesting character uh it's not just like a um 
Gordon Gecko. It's nothing like that at all. He is. Um, this is what he does, and he's good at it, though. In some ways, I think that he's the kind of guy that that is like the linchpin because he puts all these people together, but almost in a kind of a I don't know if I want to say a snake oil salesman kind of a guy because it's like when people start thinking about it, they're like, "Who is this guy? You know, how does he have any power? How does he know so and so?" And he does use some. Uh, shady shady things to meet people and to get to know them but like if you're if, if you've ever been in sales you know where they tell you oh if the guy you're trying to sell the store owner you're trying to sell something to likes golf buy him some golf balls or taking golfing and do stuff so, so kind of like a sh- uh, almost like a professional schmoozer um so anyway i recommend this one again it's not um <coughs> excuse me it's not like a. I wasn't like blown away by it. I I, I like the movie, um, um, where he, oh, what was it? I want to say fraud, but it wasn't called fraud. What was that one called that I liked? Uh, where he was scamming Howard Hughes. Uh, oh, the hoax. I I, I like that one. Uh, you know, probably. I don't know. I, I don't know if I would say a lot better. And then the other one where they do go to uh, uh, try and kidnap the, uh, the, the war criminal. <laughs> I'm trying, I'm looking these things up, the hunting party. Um, I think both of those movies have a lot more, uh, well, not only action, but sort of like a, almost like a light-hearted, and, and even though they have a lot of serious stuff in them, have some fun and funny moments in them too. Um, I liked both of those just just a little bit more. But uh, that and, and with um, uh, Norman, I like all three of those Richard Gere movies. And there's a couple of them that I have not watched recently that seemed like they were more like um, thrillers or drama. And maybe I need to check those out too, because like I said, Richard Gere usually, even if the movie isn't that great, I think he's good. And uh, he, you know, as, as he gets older, I, I was trying to think a little while ago of the Old Man in the Sea, Spencer Tracy. Uh, I'm not comparing Richard Gere to Spencer Tracy, but when he the, the older he gets, he with the, with the kind of white hair and uh, just the way the way he looked in Norman, I could see Spencer Tracy playing the part of Norman. So anyway. <laughs> I don't know where that came, but it's it's true. Uh, <laughs> I'm not lying to you, people. I'm trying to I'm trying to I'm trying to play it straight with you, like Jim Brown, who was in the next movie. You know, let me tell you something about Jim Brown. In 1972, Jim Brown made a movie called Black Gun, and for some reason, I think it might have been after the last show. I I was talking about Shaft, and uh, I was thinking about Richard Roundtree and watching like Shaft when I was a, a, a kid, like a little kid in grade school, and watching uh, Jim Brown movies. So I got a, a, a taste for wanting to go and watch some of these, uh, you know, uh, some of them are black exploitation movies, but Jim Brown, to me, um, you can say black exploitation, but his his charisma and his the way he carried himself 
uh, as just a a confident, cool motherfucker. And how could you not just be have? And I'm not talking about braggadocious confidence like Muhammad Ali, you know, fly like a butterfly, sting like a pea, where it's like hyperbole, like maybe someone who is trying to... And I know Ali did it from watching wrestling, and it was a show business thing to sell tickets, him being either the bad guy or, you know, the, the it was entertainment. Whereas Jim Brown is like, you know, I'm a man. I don't need to be that way. I have con- he's the kind of guy like Richard Pryor said uh you know when Jim Brown showed up you know he didn't have to boast he didn't have to yell and scream or say you know I can kick your ass or do anything to make you believe it but when you looked at him just the way he carried himself you knew he was somebody that you didn't want to fuck with and it, it wasn't like he tried to exude a menace either it was just he just was a man he was a man who was confident in his manhood he didn't have to be macho even though he was i mean but it was a different it wasn't like a fred williamson kind of a macho where like i said you know kind of a a fast talker or uh have that kind of like either like a pimp kind of a you know uh, attitude i'm gonna say pimp like ramrod but like in black exploitation which which become like a conor mcgregor kind of a guy you know jim brown wasn't like that he was I don't even know if I would say stoic because he could talk and he he had an air of confidence, intelligence, uh, a physicality. I mean, this motherfucker, when he's wearing his clothes in these movies, uh, and they're not like super skin tight or anything, but you can just look at, at him and say, God, man, that motherfucker is put together. If you could, if I could be Jim Brown, like if I could if I could change my body and be be like be like Jim Brown, I mean, it would just be like you you don't have to prove yourself because you're fucking Jim Brown. You motherfucker ran. I mean, the greatest football player ever. And, and you know, th- there's people that come along and you know they say, well, uh, whatever from different generations and whether it's movies or or especially sports like in the movie Cobb where all the sports writers all they do is sit around and and say well Jack Dempsey was better than Joe Lewis and they and they just debate and argue um you know there's you can come back and say you know whether it's Walter Payton Eric Dickerson whoever you know OJ Simpson um you know even before Jim Brown uh, Mary Motley Emmett Smith um anybody uh, well, they were better, or they they played this and they did that, but at one point in time, and maybe it's because I was a I was a kid and everything, and Jim Brown was in the movies, and it was right before he retired, and my family uh, ha- have a lot of family in Cleveland and everything. Well, Jim Brown is like um, like a goddamn legend, like a god. He is, you know. So anyway, Black Gun. Um, a successful and popular nightclub owner who believes financial independence is the path to equality and success must act as a go-between for for his militant-minded brother and the white gangsters. Um, I like this one. Just about every Jim Brown movie that you see, uh, I, I think that in some ways, maybe because Fred Williamson uh, has that uh, a little bit more of that uh, bravado and uh like i said like a conor mcgregor you might have a stoic guy in mma or something like that that 
is good, that has charisma, that doesn't have to brag or anything. But then you have Conor McGregor who dresses to the nines and he's playing almost like a, uh, a gorgeous George or a Ric Flair or, you know, depending on how far you want to go back, who, who had the, you know, the gimmick of the rich, loud mouth, um, um, you know, guy who boasts and ever and either you love him or hate him and it's if if he if he is successful and wins then they go from being the villain to being somebody that you like because they walk it and talk it and everything um there are the one thing i the one thing i like about in some of these movies whether it's Fred Williamson, Richard Roundtree, or Jim Brown. In these movies, they will have their uh, African-American woman. They never say they're their wife. They're just like their steady woman. And they... They're so fucking macho. They love them. I don't think they ever would say that they love them. But they're like, okay, you're my main woman... But then anytime they're out in a bar, whether it's Shaft with, uh, you know, he's got his woman at home, but then he's out at the bar and the the uh, the white chick with the ruby tits, uh, you know, he thinks nothing about taking her and fucking her. And it's almost like uh, that with Jim Brandt. Well, I think in this one, the one lady, and, and it's like a pattern because it's, it's always like a, a Caucasian woman who... Um, uh, is the forbidden fruit or something. I don't know. Stella Stevens or Raquel Welch or, you know, because especially when these movies were made, it was so taboo. I remember like some of the, 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 uh, people in my family that whether they were, you know, I guess it, it's obvious it's racism, uh, whether they mean it in a malicious way or if that's just how they're taught or whatever, would be like, ah, oh, you know, Jim Brown or Raquel Welch or, you know, Stella Stevens, oh, you know, um, he has to be with that white woman. <laughs> which is pretty fucking stupid and gross when you think about it but then on on top of that uh of of it being you know uh, uh like a uh, burr under the saddle of racists it's not like okay in one of these movies and not all of them but like in in these movies like say Jim Brown has uh Stella Stevens is his woman and he's in love with her and everything. And he's true to her. Okay. He has his, he, maybe they have, but maybe they have a, uh, uh, an agreement. Like, you know, the, this woman knows that, uh, Jim Brown is so much of a man or Fred Williamson or, or Shaft that, that, they can't be true to just they can't be true to just one woman because they're so virile or i don't know what they're trying to say but each one of these guys is kind of a shit because even though they have a woman who is in these movies is uh portrayed as their main squeeze in no time i mean it doesn't they don't even think about it there's no internal struggle or anything if a fucking uh, another woman comes along and the, their main squeeze is back at her pad, then they're going to take some chick somewhere and fuck her, you know? So, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but it just seems like some of these guys, you know, I mean, maybe it's um, uh, there. there's a certain amount of uh, backlash against a racist society in these movies, but 
what I'm trying to say is, in these same movies, there's a lot of misogynistic, sexist shit that the hero that is trying to uh, break out from under white racism is also a dick. <laughs> Because if you're a woman, you're looking at Shaft, you're looking at fucking uh, Gun in this movie. His name's Gun, or uh, um, um, Fred the Hammer Williamson. You know they're kind of a dick, but you know maybe they're just free swinging wild, and as long as the woman doesn't care, I don't know. You know maybe they're they're uh, more sexually adventurous. But I have a feeling that uh, one of these chicks would like probably cut Jim Brown's nutsack off if they found him with a chick with uh, luscious ruby tits. Um, Another thing thing to bring up in this movie is um, recently we lost uh, Martin Landau um, who was known for playing Bela Lugosi in uh, Ed Wood. He was in uh, tons of fucking movies. Space 1999 TV show, Mission Impossible. Um, Martin Landau passed away um, and he is in Black Gun uh, with Jim Brown. And uh, he does not play a good guy. (laughs) Oh, it's like Martin Landau though. You know, somebody said, uh, you know, when he started out, he played, well, a lot of the TV shows I watched, he played good guys but then on big Valley, he was on big valley he was in some westerns he'd play like a mexican and then um he started playing some good guys in tv like said like mission impossible a few seasons of mission impossible i believe martin landau was actually married to barbara bain and barbara bain was with him on mission impossible and space 1999 and you know what i have not seen those space 1999 tv shows in so long um, I remember they would have them on, and for I'm thinking they were on during the afternoon. Like uh, they used to show, um, we would watch like uh, the original Star Trek. They would show those in the afternoon when I was in grade school. Um, Space 1999, a lot of those old shows, Mission Impossible, a lot of those old shows we would watch in the afternoons. Gilligan's Island, you know. Anyway. <laughs> off on another tangent about i don't know what and uh, and speaking of you know losing uh martin landau we also lost a legend in the horror genre specifically the zombie or the uh zombie genre which is uh george a romero um i'm not one that can probably speak as well or about george romero uh as uh, a lot of people in our our group because I've never claimed to be and, and, and have never been like a huge horror fan. I've seen my share of horror movies, but you know, some people that's their thing. And I mean, they know them all and they go to the conventions and know all these guys and everything. I know George Romero from, you know, the original night of the living dead, of course. And uh, I've seen that uh, uh, several times, the old black and white one from 1968. Uh, George Romero is from Pittsburgh. Um, and I'm trying to think. I'm not exactly sure the specific, if it was Dawn of the Dead. There was the one that they made at the Monroeville Mall in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, which is right up around Pittsburgh. I used to go to that mall all the time. I mean, it was nothing to drive to the Monroeville Mall and just go and hang out, go out to eat, shop, look around, you know, just have a good time. Um, there was several movies let me see some other ones here that i'm 
familiar with. Uh, he was executive producer on the new uh, movie, The Crazies, uh, which had Timothy Oliphant in it. And I liked that one. I didn't. I never have seen the original, though. And like I said, um, for me, um, this is something, uh, especially with Loaf not being on the show, right, or on this episode, um, that... Uh, I think that other podcasts, and I'm sure there's some other ones that are going to go a lot more in-depth with uh, the passing of George Romero and probably doing some uh, uh, specials and stuff like that. So I'll leave it at that. I I also liked the um, remake of Night of the Living Dead um, that I saw. And like I said, I've seen... (sighs) Let me look here and see. I just want to, just out of curiosity, some of the other movies that um, that he did, and I don't want to script my IMDb from all the other Shazite that I have coming up. <laughs> he was a, let's see, uh, O.J. Simpson, The Juice on the Loose, TV movie documentary, and he's on there as George Romero. That's pretty funny. I don't know why I find that funny. Um, let's see... The original crazies, like I said, I have not seen that one. And there's so many of them on here that um, I see that I'm aware of uh, as far as him directing. Like uh, Martin, I think I have seen Dawn of the Dead. Um, Night Riders, was that the one with Ed Harris? Yes, Ed Harris, I have seen that one where it's like a motorcycle gang kind of a deal, but it's uh, King Arthur in a in like with uh, motorcycles. Um, haven't seen that one in a long time, Daddy O. Uh, I think it might have been one of the first things I ever saw Ed Harris in. Creep Show, of course, I've seen Creep Show. Day of the Dead, I'm pretty sure I've seen that one. Um, Land of the Dead. Is that had Dennis Hopper? <laughs> John Leguizamo's in everything, so that doesn't help. Yeah, Simon Baker. I think yeah, Dennis Hopper and John Leguizamo. Asia Argento or Asia Argento, depending on who you're talking to. I have seen that one too. Um, so I have seen some George Romero movies. I know he's produced a lot and probably done a lot more than than what I can do him justice. But anyway, he's a fucking icon. A huge a huge loss. Had a long freaking life. So um, you know. You can't uh, say he didn't do do it his way, and he, like I said, is an icon, and everyone will remember him as the king of the zombies, and for definitely for Night of the Living Dead. A movie that I just have brought up here that I, I actually kind of want to see, I just saw the trailer for, it's called Bushwick from 2017. When a Texas military force invades their Brooklyn neighborhood, 20-year-old Lucy and war veteran Stoop, is it Stoop or Stupe? <laughs> must depend on each other for survival. The only reason I know about this is because Dave Batista is in it, the wrestler. And um, um, I just happened to see the uh, trailer for it. And I was like, what the fuck is this? You know, hey, man, what the fuck is this shit? And I started, uh, I watched the trailer and I thought it looks like it, it, it almost reminded me of The Purge. But I thought, well, man, this looks like the fucking purge. But what it is is uh, with all the shit that's going on in the world today, uh, like if Texas did secede from the United States. But I like Batista. I especially like him after I after I saw him in uh, that uh, last James Bond movie, which wasn't very good. But he was kind of the highlight as a he was a good Bond villain. Uh, next thing I watched was 2016's Rogue One, Netflix instant. Uh, I wanted to watch it again. Felicity Jones. 
Diego Luna, uh, Alan Turdik. Uh, this was directed by Gareth Edwards, uh, written by Chris Weitz and uh, Tony Gilroy. Um, I like this movie. I know that there are some people on our group that are not fans. Uh, I really enjoyed it uh, from pretty much top to bottom, especially like Mads Mikkelsen at the beginning. I, I uh, lo- Just him being in this movie adds a, a little bit of gravitas. <laughs> I love, I just liked it. I like the, I like the uh, fucking droids and uh, a lot of the shit in it. It's kind of a, uh, a uh, prequel to uh, the first Star Wars movie of 1977. You know, uh, we got to get some shit together and take care of business, Daddy. Because let me tell you something: when Darth Vader and Grandma talk and come along and bring an old Death Star, we gotta we gotta knuckle up, baby, like Death the Road fighting Kevin Sullivan and his satanic horde down in Florida, baby. That's all I'll say about that. I don't know how to get off dusty roads with fucking. Star Wars. Okay, back to the uh, black exploitation movies. I uh, wanted to watch uh, Shaft's Big Score from 1972. Uh, this was directed by Gordon Parks. Me, 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 me. Uh, my nose is uh, tickling with hair. Uh, written by Ernest Tidiman. <laughs> Tidiman. Uh, it's T I D Y M A N, but uh, if it was Titty Man, it would be even better. Uh, stars Richard Groundtree, Moses Gunn, uh, Moses Gunn, and uh, Drew Boudini Brown, who was one of um, Muhammad Ali's. Uh, I don't know what he did for Muhammad Ali. He just kind of stood in the corner and fucking be like, "Come on, Ali, you whip his ass. You go in there and you can kick his ass. He ain't nothing. He ain't nothing. He ain't nothing." But he was on the payroll, so I guess he was Ali's motivator motivational guy or something. I'm sure he had some other stuff because I think, if I remember correctly, he had some a, a little bit of a criminal background, Daddy. So you have some of the people from uh, the original Shaft. Uh, Bumpy Jones and his sidekick Willie, who is Moses Gunn and Drew Boudini Brown. I love seeing them come back. Uh, Shaft is just as cool in this one as he is in the fucking first one. And you know when Shaft is about ready to, uh, to uh, for the final ass kicking because you know how like a a soldier will put on his uniform shaft puts on the leather pants and the leather fucking coat leather jacket not a coat he wears the leather long like overcoat throughout the movie which is cool as shit but when shaft is ready ready to uh for the for for the final showdown whether it's in the first one or the second one he goes for the short um leather uh jacket the black um turtleneck and the black fucking pants and he breaks out this fucking like 12 gauge shotgun thing that's almost like a one of those bullpup uh styre aug guns except it's a shotgun where you load it back by the stock which makes the shotgun even shorter and he he fucking whoops some ass with that motherfucker and this one to the point where I had to go and look up what kind of gun that was <laughs> Joe Santos from Rockford Files is in this, and he plays an asshole that I wanted to see get the fucking shit beat out of him. He was a fucking dick in this. Um, and um, the bad guy was... Oh, oh, I know what this is. I called this movie uh, Shaft versus Stefano Demera. So if you've ever watched Days of Our Lives, you will know who Stefano Demera is. That's uh, Joseph Mascolo. 
uh, on the actor on Days of Our Lives played Stefano Demera. Well, in this, he is the the uh, the boss bad guy, and um, Joe Santos um, from Rockford Files, who played Dennis Becker, is his asshole right hand man. He's a dick. <laughs> And again, you know, like I said, Shaft. He he's got his he's got his main squeeze. You know, that's it, that's his his African princess. But as soon as he can get some pussy somewhere else, man, you know, he, he fucking dives right in. Which is he's got some hot chick. And it, and, and I think like in the one scene, his friend called his friend calls Shaft to say, "Hey, man, where are you at?" And Shaft is fucking his friend's sister while they're on the phone. But and then it's got it's got a scene in it where um, um, Shaft kind of goes into it's not a strip joint I think it's what they would call a go go like go go dancers, uh, but I like this one. This one had a lot of good stunts in it, like some some seventies French Connection kind of car chases and and just a lot of good action. You get a helicopter, you get Shaft on a fucking speedboat. Um, I really like this one. I, I think I like this one equally as much as the first one this one's got a lot of action in it and i agree with loaf uh richard roundtree man he could have played roles like this and maybe maybe he didn't want to get typecast and just keep playing roles like this but i mean he made shaft and shaft's big score and then i think shaft goes to africa was going to be like a maybe it was a um for some reason i'm thinking it was kind of like a not a pilot it was a movie but they were going to use it to make a shaft tv show and then i remember there were several that he he made some westerns and stuff like that too that weren't as successful but after seeing shaft i wanted to see richard roundtree in a ton of shit and he did make a um make a cameo as john shaft in the shaft uh movie with uh, samuel jackson who i think was his nephew or something that but you know it was kind of cool seeing him walk in the bar with the turtleneck and with the ladies on his arms i think in that one he just had two ladies one lady on each arm so he just decided instead of having the main squeeze he'd just have him you know maybe shaft wanted to you know he'd have a couple women at the same time shaft he's a complicated well you know what now that i think about it i know what was going on with him and his woman and these other women it was the fact that he was a complicated man, but no one underst- understood him but his woman. See, these other chicks were just, you know, they were just, uh, I don't know if I would say conquest, because I think Shaft could probably get anybody, any fucking woman he wanted. But I also think that Shaft, again, I think he's just so virile that his main squeeze his 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 regular woman probably could only take so much uh and after a while she's like okay goddamn please go out and fuck other women because you're going to kill me that's how cool shaft is and how virile shaft is you know when he puts on those leather pants man you know it's all over <laughs> I need to get off this, off this shaft fucking thing. Okay. I watched a uh, documentary, and I believe this is on YouTube for free. Uh, it's called Lionel uh, from 2008, and it was uh, written and directed by Eddie Martin. And uh, this is a documentary about this uh, a boxer named Lionel Rose. 
and he was an Australian, a native Australian. He's an Aborigines or Aboriginal Australian, and he was the first uh, Aborigines to win a world championship in boxing. And um, it's a it's a pretty good story because um, when it starts out, uh, he's kind of like just living in you know uh, kind of like a probably like a second class citizen almost like what you would think would be like a Indian reservations and stuff in the United States with Native Americans and um, he gets involved in boxing and and just shows a a talent for it and uh, this uh, uh, Caucasian Aussie and uh, his family kind of take him in and and uh you know the guy's a, a boxing trainer and they he sees something in him takes him in and he becomes part of their family you know uh like a you know a, a, an older brother to the kids and a, a son to the to the man and his and his wife and uh he goes on to win uh the world i think bantamweight championship and one of the guy a guy that i know that uh knows a lot about boxing said you know one thing about lionel rose is you know, like today, these days, you know, a, a champion might fight a couple times a year. Well, he won the championship. Hell, he fought like four times in, in like just a couple of months. So, so um, and then just like a, a lot of uh, sports documentaries, it shows his, the ups and downs of his life. And, you know, he, he really became this huge star, which transcended, you know, race and racism and all that stuff in Australia. And, uh, you know, he, he – it was – in some ways, there was a, a little bit of the uh, too much too soon kind of a thing because he was so young. He was only not only was he the first Aborigines to win a world championship, but he was only 19 years old when this happened. Um, and uh, but he became like a uh, pop icon over there, uh, making records and uh, you know like to play guitar and you know stuff like that and just going around and, and you know whenever wherever he went, people are like, oh my god, you know. So it's kind of cool. I like the documentary. If you you don't really have to be into sports that much to to watch it, but if you're a sports or it's definitely a boxing fan, you something to check out because uh, you know I was really into boxing for a long time, and uh, I'd never heard of the guy. And with YouTube, there are so many venues, uh, not venues because YouTube is the venue, but there are so many videos of of these boxing uh, matches, fights, or whatever from. You know, like when I was a little kid, there there are ones on there that I saw when I was probably in grade school, and they're just readily available. Um, another thing I, I brought this up was um, I had Cutter's Way brought up on my uh, IMDb, and that's because uh, uh, John Hurd passed away. We had uh, Romero, uh, Martin Landau, and then John Hurd. And what, when I think of John Hurd, uh, one of the first movies and the first movie I think that I ever saw him in was Cutter's Way from 1981 with Jeff Bridges and um, that when I saw this movie he really uh, stood out I mean Jeff Bridges always stands out Jeff Bridges is a, I think a great actor and has just a, a uh, that kind of personality uh, but John Hurd was excellent in this what I was telling somebody one time was um I, he he played in uh, you know Home Alone and uh, and uh, a lot of other things, but uh, the one of the last times that I remembered seeing him was in I think The Sopranos, and he played a bad cop that uh, that um, kind of fed 
Tony information and stuff like that, but he just looked really bad. I mean, he looked really overweight, and I know that he was probably supposed to be like a kind of a loser alcoholic cop in that show, but he really just looked he really looked unhealthy and uh, had gained just a lot of weight and and uh, had a really big you know gut <laughs> you know he don't want to put the guy down you know from for uh, um, you know the way he looked but he he just did not look healthy and uh, he passed away too and I th- always thought he was a uh, you know really good actor so I just kind of wanted to you know uh, give a little um, props and a little bit of you know just a, a memorial thing for some of these guys that we watch all the time and have grown up watching. 2016, Salt and Fire. Uh, When I watched this movie, I did not know until somebody on our group told me that Werner Herzog was the director of this movie. And I'm a uh, Herzog fan. I like his documentaries, and I like his his, uh, movies with Klaus Kinski and uh, other people. And I like uh, him as an actor, too. I liked him in uh, that Loch Ness movie, which I watched about... 50,000 times for some reason. Uh, I need to get that out and watch it. He was good in that, though. Um, and he was in Jack, the, the original Jack Reacher. He was a good villain in that, uh, but um, that movie, I, I think like about half of that movie I liked. Uh, the parts where Jack Reacher is in the bar and beats the shit out of people and with the young girl that tried to set him up and going and fighting people in the bathtub and all that shit. Once it gets to like the main kind of story with Jack Reacher meeting Robert Duvall at the firing range and all that stuff, I kind of just kind of lost it a little bit for me. But this uh, Salt and Fire from 2016 was written by uh, a short story by uh, Tom Bissell and uh, Werner Herzog brought it to the screen. Um, stars one another reason. Well, okay. When I saw it, I didn't know Herzog directed it. I just saw that Michael Shannon uh, and uh, Gail Garcia Bernal were in it, and I thought, man, you know, I like both those guys. I'm gonna check this. Um, it has beautiful scenery, um, which you would expect from Herzog. It has, I told somebody, the story almost reminds me of a uh, Jodorowsky kind of story. It's odd, and you don't know where it's going, and you, I still might not know where it's going. <laughs> I, I do, but I mean, it, it, um, it's, it's really, really quirky. There are some funny things in this where I was watching it and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? What is this? I thought it was going to be a straight up drama and it was going to be, um, it was nothing what I expected. The story is, there's a lot of environmentalist stuff in it and a lot of political stuff. I, like I said, I, I, I know Herzog, uh, when I say environmentalist, Herzog is, has always been into that kind of nihilistic view of nature. You know, um, the grasshopper will be destroyed and raped into submission and then become the dung for the um, red-tailed hawk. Um, it's sort of like that but with an environmentalist um, t- slant to it too um, I really liked Michael Shannon in this I thought he was one of the you know he was the 
probably the best part of the movie. Uh, the 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 uh, actress in this, Veronica Fares, she was really good in it too. She reminds me of, I want to say Kirsten Dunst, but sort of a cross between her and somebody else. I can't remember who the fuck she reminded me of, but she reminded me of somebody. Anyway, she was she was very good too. Um, there are some also survivalist and parenting kind of things in this too. Like I said, it's just kind of a quirky movie. I know some people really didn't like it. It gets it's got a four point one on a MDB. I'm not sure. I think I liked it more than that. It's a, it's one that I think I would rewatch because it caught me off guard on how quirky it was. But I don't know. I would like to hear some other people that actually watch it tell me what they think. You know, I don't just you know say, "Well, I heard it sucked," because just because you heard it sucked, you know, let your own uh, brain tell you what you think. Dig it? Oh, this was a gem that I found on YouTube that I forgot about. I had seen a long time ago on TV and maybe even at the drive-in. I can't remember when I was a kid, 1976. And I graduated from grade school in 77, so it's probably like fifth grade or something when this was uh, made. Uh, it's 1976's Sky Riders, um, directed by Douglas, Douglas Hickox. Uh, written, the screenplay was written by Stanley Mann and Jack DeWitt. And it stars James Coburn, Susan York, and Robert Culp. Uh, also has John Beck in it, who you will know from um, Rollerball. And he was in some other stuff, a lot of other stuff. He played oh, in Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. He plays a guy that goes along with, uh, I think, Pat Garrett to try and catch Billy the Kid. And he's a real asshole. <laughs> but John Beck, I always liked him. He's he was on some, uh, I think, some TV shows and also on some like um, what do you call those motherfucking things? Miniseries. Dig it. Harry Andrews is in this too, who I liked from The Hill and lots of other movies. Um, I'm a big fan of his work. Uh, Robert Culp was really good in this, and uh, somebody named uh, Zuzu, uh, I guess. That's her name. I mean, that's what she went by, Like whether it's like Madonna or uh, Twiggy or something like that. She went by Zuzu, and she plays a female terrorist. And if you've watched any of these movies, it's kind of like the Bader-Meinhof complex, um, or, or which a lot of those people were involved in some of the, uh, like Radon and Tebby, and uh, um, uh, they based, when you watch some of these 70s terrorism movies, uh, they always have a real mean ass female uh, fucking terrorist that's like fucking crazy and so they have that in this one too <laughs> and that's Zuzu Zuzu I have to look at her up and see what the fuck her deal was Zoo Z-O-U Z-O-U Zuzu okay let's see what her deal is because I didn't look her up uh, okay what was she in that she was a famous for she made a lot of fucking movies she's still working all the way to 2003 oh she might be dead now <laughs> Oh, I hate to say that. What is it? From 1962 to 2003. Uh, Zuzu. Let me, let me, let me uh, educate you motherfuckers on some stuff. <laughs> Her name is Daniela uh, Ciale, and uh, she, uh, a.k.a. Zuzu. 
I guess it's uh, Zuzu or Zao Zao, I think it's Zuzu, is today one of the most revered, even uh, even though quite obscure for most icons of the 60s of, of the Parisian scene. Discovered at age 16 by the uh, then young designer Jean-Paul Gaultier, um, she briefly modeled for Yves Saint Laurent uh, as a tireless nightclubber is better known in the mid-60s under the nickname Zuzu La Twistso. <laughs> Shortly after that, she became romantically involved with a Rolling Stones member, Brian Jones, who uh, passed away. I think he drowned or something. Um, who she followed around the world. Uh, she was also good friends with John Lennon and George Harrison and was photographed by David Alvadon and Helmut Newton and got to meet Bob Dylan, Andy Warhol, most of all Jack Nicholson, who was, along with uh, Marianne Faithful, very, very faithful friends. She also recorded two EPs as a singer at the end of the 60s, a duet with Donny, another French 60s icon, after a few roles in un- underground and experimental French cinema under the direction of Philippe Garal and Yves uh, Laurent. Uh, she got a cinematic breakthrough in 1972's Eric Romer's L'Amour, L'Après Midi, and developed an international career as an actress a career which unfortunately progressively slowed down because of her addiction to heroin. Well, there you go. Uh, She would fit in good today with all the nice pills that we have. Uh, She spent seven years uh, on the Caribbean island of St. Bartholome so as to shape up, but her return to Paris in the mid-80s was followed by two jail incarcerations due to mild drug dealings. In the 1990s, she was drug-free at last, and to get a fresh start, she sold newspapers the newspaper La Rue and Le Revrebre, equivalent of British is the big issue in, Parisi- uh, in the Parisian metro. In 2003, an autobiography titled Zuzu Until Dawn was released, where she told with an uh, ultimate honesty the extreme ups and downs of her incredible life. So, I mean, she's a very interesting person. She sounds like kind of one of those uh, Andy, well, I mean, they mentioned Andy Warhol, so she was obviously kind of in that scene too, but she was good in this movie as uh, the, you know, her credit is female terrorist, but she was a badass motherfucker. <laughs> I like this movie. Um, this one, I mentioned the one um, last week with Peter Fonda and Telly Savalas and um, Hugh O'Brien, and this one rates right up there with that. Just a, a really good badass fucking uh, 1970s action movie. Uh, has a lot of uh, a, a fairly big cast uh, and lots of real stunts. This movie was if if you've ever seen the Lee Majors TV show Fall Guy at the beginning, you know he was a stuntman and they show all these different stunts uh, from like you know Burt Reynolds movies and everything. And one of the stunts that they show at the in the opening montage for that TV show is a guy hanging from the skid of a helicopter, and that's from this movie, Sky Riders with James Coburn. James Coburn is so, you know, I, I when I was watching this, I thought, you know, they called Steve McQueen the, the, the king of cool. Well, let me tell you something. James Coburn was a cool motherfucker. I really liked him. I, I Robert Culp was excellent in this. Um, what happens is uh, Robert Culp is a rich industrialist and his wife and child are kidnapped and well it's it ends up it's his, his uh, stepchildren 
and um, they call uh, they get a, a, a word out to uh, James Coburn who is uh, Robert Culp's wife's ex-husband and they were they all know each other and everything and I think they were I think the way the backstory they didn't really go into it but they just kind of alluded to it was that uh, maybe Culp and Coburn were involved in some shady stuff and Coburn took the fall and ended up going to they were friends I think and Coburn took the fall and went to prison for like 10 years and so then with I think sort of I don't know if I would say with his blessing uh, because he knew he was going to be in prison Culp got together with his wife and but it's it's not just the action which I loved. I thought it was really good, and I just thought Cobra. I I will watch this again right now after I get off here. I thought it was so good, and that one with Savalas and uh, Peter Fonda. Both of those I would like to watch again. I I loved them both. I thought they were really good. Um, I liked the that not only the action but just but that that uh, kind of unspoken stuff going on with. Uh, while all about them were losing their heads, you know, you had this unspoken uh, feelings uh, between all three of the, the the leads, you know, Susan York, James Coburn, and uh, almost like a you know kind of a, a love triangle. But they didn't go into it. It didn't take away from the what the movie was, and they didn't they didn't turn it into some fucking melodrama. Is what I'm trying to say, sissy, because James Coburn ain't no sissy ass motherfucker. Um, Another little movie that I put in my IMDb on the list of stuff to talk about is one uh, that I did not watch, but I I need to to find it. Is a movie that I saw when I was a kid and I forgot all about. If you like like French Connection, Prince of the City, the especially the Seven Ups, and those kind of movies, there was a movie. It was called The Super Cops, and also the ones with uh, all the guy that did um, the the New Centurions, uh, Wampa, um, those kind of movies in the seventies. Uh, these these uh, these cop movies, these realistic cop movies, either movies about real cops and real things that happened, or movies about crooked cops or like Serpico. Th- th- those kind of movies. This movie was called The Super Cops from nineteen seventy four, and this was based on a true story about these two um, these two cops. And the synopsis is, the true story of two New York cops, Greenberg and Hans, uh, fought the system, became detectives, and were known on the street as Batman and Robin. And that's one of the reasons I remember it from when I was a kid is I thought it was cool that they were, you know, uh, you know, Batman and Robin. They were like the real Batman and Robin. Uh, this was directed by Gordon Parks, who also directed the Shaft movie, I think, didn't he? Gordon Parks. Yeah, he directed Shaft. Um, I thought there was a, uh, a not a tenacious link. That's just a link, motherfucker. Um, this stars Ron Lieberman and David Selby. And who else is in this? Sheila Frazier, Pat Hingle. Of course, we know him. Um, but anyway, this is one I want to see because I just haven't seen it in a long, long time. Like I said, I it kind of reminded me of the 7-Ups. But I haven't seen it so long, so I can't really say hey man this is good or i th- i know they they put it out on uh, warner archives i i i, th- I think 
it's on Amazon uh, Watch now, but I think Warner Archives is actually uh, somebody requested that they put it out, and they did. Uh, so I'll be checking it out soon. Uh, maybe uh, if you guys get a chance to watch it, you can let me know what you think, too. Uh, the next movie was uh, directed and written by Bill Barry, and this is a uh, Quentin Tarantino pick from wherever he does his picks of movies that he likes or whatever. And it's called Brotherhood of Death from 1976. This is on YouTube for free. It is a black exploitation movie starring Roy Jefferson, uh, who was a Washington Redskin. It has a, a few other people from the Washington Redskins are, are in it. Um, I think they said when they did the poster and everything that they played up some of the other... Of course, uh, Roy Jefferson is the main guy, but... Um, they really played up uh, some of the other Washington Redskins on the poster and stuff, even though they just kind of had bit parts. Um, when I started watching this, I thought, man, this is low budget as shit. This is low, low, low budget. Um, it looks almost like um, a, a movie that... Uh, like some college kids or something got together and made, you know, scrounged together some money and made a movie. Uh, but it is worth watching, and I think that uh, uh, it's it's takes place down south. Uh, you see um, Roy Jefferson and his brother and one of his best friends. They you see them like out on the street and how they how they lived and then they go to Vietnam and you see them in Vietnam but it's not fucking Vietnam I think wherever they shot this movie whether it was Georgia or Tennessee or wherever is where Vietnam is in this movie you know um, but I think with uh, if they would I'm sure this had probably like a 25 cent budget so you have to take that into account so it's it's not bad for having such a, a uh, it's like a um, what was the Mike Danton movies <laughs> It's on that kind of like a budget. Um, but you have a lot of honkies that are racist, redneck, Ku Klux Klan fucking people. Uh, and um, they don't like um, these. They they keep saying, the, 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 the blacks from Vietnam. And you're like, wait a minute. They just went to Vietnam and fought. They're not, you know, the way they kept saying it, you would think that they were like uh, the south side of, of Hanoi or something like that. It's all right. It's it's not bad. It's worth a watch. It's it's pretty. Like I said, it's really low budget. Uh, don't expect much. If you are into um, independent, like old independent cinema, yeah, it's worth watching. Like I said, Quentin Tarantino kind of gives it gives it props, so that that pushes it up a, a few notches for some people. Watch this movie. Uh, when I saw the trailer and I saw the poster and everything, I didn't think that I would watch it because I thought it looked kind of, you know, eh. It's uh, 2014's Everly, which stars the uh, very beautiful uh, Salma Hayek, one of the most beautiful women on the fucking planet. Um, directed by Joe Lynch, uh, written by, uh, the story is by Yale Hannon, and uh, written by the screenplay Yale Hannon. Um this is an ultra-violent fucking movie, but it's done in a very funny way. Uh, it's got some nasty ass. Um, when I say ultra-violent, I mean like some torture, some people, I mean, it just get, get, just people getting the shit blown out of them, attacked by dogs and stuff. But it's done in such a... Re- even though 
there are parts of it where you're like, oh my god, it's so over the top that it's funny, you know, it's it's, it's not done to be taken seriously or anything like that. Um, Togo Igawa, Ooh. there's some, there are some uh, bad people in this that are uh, uh, some real assholes. Uh, the masochist Mas- Masashi Fujimoto. Um, his name is the masochist, if that tells you anything. But uh, Salma Hayek is a uh, woman that has been kept captive in prostitution, and um, this guy, the the bo- the you know the bad boss guy, he is doing this all at, for spite and for revenge. I guess you know they, he's in love with her, but. Uh, I don't know what I can't remember what happens, but he just decides, okay, I'm going to take you away from your your baby, and for nine years I'm going to put you in this whorehouse, and uh, and then um, the shit goes down, and it's kind of like almost the whole movie takes place in in one apartment. There's some other, you know, not not entirely, but I would say about 90 fucking 7% of it does. So uh, it, it was entertaining. Like I said, I, I at first I didn't want to watch it because I just thought it would be, I thought it was going to be like a Salma Hayek trying to get into the action genre and, and, and be this the next big action star and that it was kind of a straight-to-DVD thing or something. But it's worth a watch. It was entertaining. I'm sure there are people that are not not uh, for violence that would be like, oh, you know, if this is a fucking piece of shit. Um, I watched uh, on YouTube 1973's Lucky Luciano. This is not a first-time watch. I've seen this several times. Directed by Francesco Rossi. Uh, written by Jerome Shedorov. And uh, that's the English adaptation. And uh, Tonino Guerrera stars uh, Jean-Marie Valente... Vincent Gardinia, Silverio Blasi. I wonder if he's related to vampire Fred Blasi or the King of Men. I'm sorry, the fashion play classy. Uh, Jean-Marie Valente plays uh, Charles Lucky Luciano. Uh, if you know anything about the mafia, the American mafias, uh, you'll know who that is. You have all the... This one sort of reminds me of um, the the Valachi papers with Charles Bronson because you, they name names. You have uh, Lucky Luciano. You have Vito Genovese. You have um, um, Albert Anastasia. All these people that are real life... that were real life gangsters and everything. Uh, Edmund O'Brien is in this also. Uh, Rod Steiger is also in this. Big name. I think Rod Steiger and Jean, Jean-Marie Valente are two of the biggest names in this. Um, I like it. I, like I said, um, it's kind of like when you compare the Valachi papers or the Brotherhood with Kirk Douglas and Alex. Um, God damn it. Why did I just draw a bl- Alex Cord uh, to... Uh, like the Godfather, yeah, they're they're a step down from the Godfather, but like I said, this one is a companion piece, definitely to uh, the Valachi Papers. And if you are a Jean 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 Marie Valente fan, which I am, you want to watch this, dig it, and it's got some hot whores in it too. Nineteen eighty fours, they're playing with fire. This is on uh, YouTube for free, and so was uh, I think I might have said Netflix with uh, Lucky Luciano, but it's on YouTube for free, which is even cheaper. And you don't have to pay for shit. 
<laughs> I'm getting giddy. Uh, <laughs> this was written and directed by Howard uh, Avidis. Um, if you watch this, I'm telling you what, motherfuckers, Sybil Danning is in this, and she is like the uh, femme fatale, I guess. And uh, within the first five minutes of this movie, you will think you are watching a porn. I thought I was watching a fucking porn. But then it switches up, and it's got... It's it's um kind of a... I don't know if it's like a thriller, but it's got like a... Uh, these two assholes set this kid up, and there's some brutal, there's some brutal fucking uh, violence in this. But there's some fucking Sybil Danning naked, and walking around in a bikini and seducing this young young boy. She's a teacher, and she's seducing like one of her students, who's like a I don't know, like a high school student or something. And if you know, he's a douche at first because she is so fucking hot, and she's trying to like basically just throw in the pussy and those big fucking boobs right in his face, and he's like, huh, I better get back to 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 painting the fucking railing or something. It's just like get in here and fuck me, you little stupid motherfucker, zitty faced douche. But it's entertaining. <laughs> If you're a civil dating completist, she's hot, man. Woo! Ha! <laughs> okay, this is another, just a reminder uh, thing that I put in here, which is The Shape of Water 2017, um, written and directed by Guillermo del Toro. Uh, we have heard recently that uh, he was going to do a Hellboy prequel. Uh, now, in the comics, Hellboy, I don't want to spoil anything, but. They have put themselves in the position with Hellboy that everything from now on, all the stories are going to be kind of in the past. Like, uh, I don't know if I'd say prequels, but, you know. Um, And I just saw BPRD has a new comic coming out, which I just ordered. Um, Which, after the uh, Hell on Earth thing, which was so long. It was, when I say so long, I'm not saying so long and bad. I'm just saying it was extensive. It went on for a long time, and they really hashed it out. I loved it. I love BPRD, Hell on Earth. Um, And so they are putting out a new book. And I'm going to read the motherfucker because I love fucking Dark Horse, Hellboy, and BPRD. Um, When I saw the trailer for this, The Shape of Water, 2017, uh, this stars Sally Hawkins, Doug Jones, and Michael Shannon. Number one, Michael Shannon. Number two, when I started watching it, I'm like, is this supposed to be Abe Sapien from... Hellboy, the movies and the comic, and from BPRD. Um, I haven't gotten a hundred percent yes or no, but I mean, Guillermo del Toro has Doug Jones, who is the same guy that played the physical uh, Abe Sapien, and I think someone said that they thought since the last Hellboy movie didn't do as well as the first one that Guillermo del Toro kind of said, okay, well, I'm going to make a fucking sort of a Hellboy movie, but it's not going to be a Hellboy movie. And But they are, you know, they are going to make some more Hellboy movies. They're going to reboot it because they have another actor that's going to play Hellboy, and they've announced it and everything. I want to see this, The Shape of Water. Dig it. It's rated R, too. And Guillermo del Toro, so you can't lose. Man, I, I just, I, I think I like his shit. You know what I'm saying? Next movie I watched was 2016's Railroad Tigers, uh, directed by Ding Sheng. Uh, writers are Alex Jai. Uh, hey, Kike. <laughs> this stars Jackie Chan, J.C. Chan, 
Zitao Huang. Uh, who else is in this mother freaker? K Wong, Hiroyuki Ikuchi, uh, Ping Sang, Alang Nung, uh, er, uh, see Fan Zhu, Darren Wang. It's got a whole bunch of people in it uh, that I can't pronounce their names because I am a stupid American. But people, this is on Netflix, Netflix Instant Watch, and it's available for free download. I thought this movie was great. It was so f- much fun. Um, it's two hours and it's two hours long. It's just awesome fun action and stunts and lots of funny stuff in it. Um, I just got into it so much. The, uh, and uh, when I watched this and I posted it on the group, I, I said this is one of the best times I have had watching a movie in a long, long time. Top to bottom, I enjoyed the shit out of this. And uh, Jackie Chan's getting up there in age, but it was a fun fucking movie. Um, and they showed at the end through the uh, through the credits, you know, some of the some of the the behind the scenes stuff. And it's just it it really is a good movie i i recommend this one it only has a 5.9 on imdb now that might be because just not that many people have watched it yet well it says 1631 god man i i i i I give this a fucking 10 i'm telling you i really enjoyed it uh railroad tigers and i remember seeing the trailer for it and asking, has anybody seen this? And they were like, well, it's not even out yet. Well, it's out now, and it's on Netflix for free, so there's no reason for any of you mother freakers that have Netflix not to watch it. 2013's A Perfect Man, uh, directed by Kies von Ustrom, uh, written by Larry Brand and Peter Elkoff, and I cannot believe two guys wrote this fucking movie. <laughs> this stars Gene Triplehorn and Lieb Shriver. And uh, this is also a Netflix uh, free download on on Netflix Instant. The reason I watched it was because of Lieb Shriver. Schreiber. I really like him. I think he's a good actor. And I, I, I want to watch him in some more stuff. <coughs> this is a chick flick. And... Um, that's why I'm surprised the two guys wrote that. How the fuck did two guys write this motherfucker? Maybe Kies von Ulström is a woman. I don't know, but man... Okay. It's not so bad that it like makes you puke. <laughs> but there's just some stuff in it. Okay, like Liev Schreiber and Gene Triplehorn are, are fine in it, but they... And, and what they go through... I could watch a movie about that and the angst of being in a relationship and infidelity and stuff like that. But there are some parts in it where they kind of go... I'm trying to think of... Where you would think that like Jennifer Garner should be fucking playing it or something. But not all of it. Just just certain parts of it. And I'm like, what the fuck? Why, why is... Anyway, I don't know why... Well, like I said, the reason I watched it was because of Liev Schreiber. I didn't think that it was going to be as... It's not horror. I, I don't want to say it's horrible, because I was going to say I didn't think it would be as bad as what it was. It's just not very good. Um, yeah, whatever. I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. I started watching The Immigrant from 2013 with uh, Marianne Cotillard, uh, Joaquin Phoenix, and Jeremy Renner. I haven't finished it yet, though, so I'll talk more about that later. Uh, 
so far Joaquin Phoenix is in it, uh, or um, I know he's in it, but so far the parts I've seen, uh, Joaquin Phoenix was uh, pretty prominent in it, and I like uh, the setting that it's that it's in, but I have not uh, watched enough of it to give you an opinion. Uh, Tiger, or I'm sorry, The Tiger, an old hunter's tale from 2015. This is a Hoon uh, Young Park written and directed movie starring uh, Choi Min-seek. Uh, or Min Seek Joy, uh, Yong Man Seek, uh, Kim Hong Pa. I like this one, and of course, one of the reasons I watched it was because of Choi Min Seek, uh, who plays Chun Man Duk. Um, this is kind of an outdoor adventure movie, like you would think, like uh, Jeremiah Johnson or something like that, but it takes place, um, Sort of around the same time, I would think that um, Railroad Tigers takes place. Uh, maybe kind of more like a, around like a, the Japanese have invaded China and they're dicks. And, you know, they have cars and stuff like that in the city. But uh, Choi Min-sik uh, and his family are professional hunters. They hunt. They, they're kind of like... Uh, like I said, like Jeremiah Johnson people, they 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 hunt uh, and sell the the fur, and uh, uh, they live off the land. And um, I want to say it's like Jaws. There's sort of a, a sort of a Moby Dick kind of a thing about it, sort of a Jaws Moby Dick sort of thing. But it's it it goes a lot deeper than that. Uh, there's a spiritual side to it too. I know some people said they were they they couldn't get into it because of the CGI. They didn't think the CGI was very good. I kind of suspend disbelief on any parts in this where the tiger might not look. For a lot of it, there were some parts of it where I thought the tiger looked really good, uh, and I don't think it ever looked really fucking super bad. There were some times where it was ripping through some people where you know you could kind of kind of tell, but. Uh, I didn't really care about that. I liked the story. Um, I just, I, 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 it's kind of like an old school movie, man versus nature. And if you're an animal lover, there might be some stuff in this that you might be. And even I was, I was kind of like, oh, you know, I got to the point where I was rooting for the tiger. (laughs) Anyway, I recommend that one. I watched uh, 2015's Pay the Ghost. Uh, which was directed by Uli Edel, uh, written by Tim Lebon, that's the novel, and the screenplay by Dan Kay, uh, stars uh, Nicolas Cage, that's why I watched it. It is on Netflix Instant Watch and free Netflix download. I'm not a horror fan, but I kind of like ghost movies more than, because they scare me more than slasher movies. Um, this isn't awful. It's average. Uh, Cage, as I was telling the people in the group, he d- he is not in full Cage, uh, you know, uh, fucking chewing scenery and, and just acting like a, a, a nut. Uh, he is very uh, understated in this. He plays a father of a child that's abducted at a Halloween carnival and then comes to... he uh, Over the years, he's looking for his son. And... Uh, I thought it was all right. I mean, it was worth a watch. It wasn't great, but it was worth a watch. Uh, some people said, my God, how many different horror cliches can they put in one movie? But like I said, you know, hey, I watch a Cage movie. And it was it, it made me jump a few times. I've been watching Glow. Uh, 
the TV series made for Netflix TV series about the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. This is a uh, kind of a fictionalized version of uh, of the uh, the the uh, creation of Glow, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling, and uh, Mark Maron's in it. So I kind of want to see that because I've listened to his podcast a few times. I remember he was on MTV and uh, Allison uh, Brie and Betty uh, Gilpin. Um, it's so far, well, first of all, the episodes are only 30 minutes long. So, you know, it's pretty easy. I'm on like, uh, episode five, I think it's, it's fairly entertaining. It's got some, you know, it's made for Netflix and, uh, I would say it would probably be R rated if it was a movie. It shows nudity and, um, drug use. And, uh, there are some pretty, uh, just the situations are funny. I, I could just see this happening, and I and you know it actually did happen. You know they, they're not they're not having like the same. They're not saying this is like a uh, you know based on or I, it is based on the real people, but like the names they're not the same girls and even their characters and stuff. But it's pretty entertaining and it's pretty funny, and uh, I liked it so far. I'm gonna keep up with it, which is saying a lot about uh, you know series. I don't usually keep up with. Um, yesterday I went to the thea- theater. Theater. Uh, this is my last movie, so we're almost at the end, people. Let's see how much time we've taken here. Ooh, we're over two hours, so we're going to be wrapping it up. I went to see Valerian and the City of Thousand Planets. I had a choice between Valerian, uh, War of the Planet of the Apes, and Dunkirk. I have been waiting for Valerian to come out for quite some time. I like Luc Besson. Um, and after seeing the trailer, I thought, you know, man, this looks like it's going to be really good. Okay, style over substance, yeah, to a certain extent. Of course, it's just visually stunning. Uh, the special effects and everything, CGI and everything, are, are, are really good. Almost kind of like um, how Avatar was when it first came out, you know. Um I don't know. A lot of people, including one of my coworkers, saw it and said that they thought that the that visually it was great, that the story was just kind of a it was a nothing really a, like nothing new, that it was kind of a by the books story. Um, there was a certain part of it that I did feel almost like a, a, it was kind of like an Avatar story, where there are these natives that are uh, to us to a, a world and whatever, and uh, uh, being exploited, and there's certain government stuff and yada yada yada. Um, another thing that I have heard was that uh, the leads in this, who are uh, Dan DeHane and uh, Kara De Delevnia, who played uh, the Enchantress in Suicide Squad. Um, I don't know, like that, uh, or not Dan, Dane Dehane, or Dehan. Um, he's another one that is kind of like Charlie Hunnam. He's got a certain look and a certain charisma. And he's he he does he reminds me a lot of Charlie Hunnam as far as how his career is going. He's getting a lot of pushes and a lot of tries now. He has been in a lot more, um, not like big. This is maybe one of his first real big budget ones. Well, he played a was a Green Goblin or Hobgoblin. I don't remember that Spider Man. He was the bad guy in the one Spider Man movie. Um, 
And then, like I said, she was in. She was a model, and she was played the enchantress in Suicide Squad. Um, first of all, I've said this on another episode. They're supposed to be kind of like partners and sort of have like a love interest or whatever. They look exactly alike. They look like uh, brother and sister twins. Uh, so that's kind of kind of strange. I'm not sure that if it is them as actors or if it is more the story that just doesn't have the oomph or maybe a little bit of both. Um, I was surprised to see Clive Owen and I was surprised to see Rutger Hauer. I was very pleasantly surprised to see Rutger Hauer. He's getting up there in age um, and um, he has a small part at the beginning which I just, I was like, oh, cool, you know, Rutger Hauer. First, I was like, man, Rutger Hauer's looking old, but Rutger Hauer is old. Let's see. Rutger Hauer. Let's see how old Rutger is. You have the the new uh, Blade Runner coming out. So, well, he's 73. So, um, you know, with the new Blade Runner coming out and Harrison Ford and everything and, you know, him playing Roy Batty, which was an iconic character from uh, Blade Runner. It's just cool to see him working and being somebody using him in a, in a, big budget movie and also seeing clive owen hey you know when i when i saw clive owen in this i was thinking you know hey quit that you god damn it hang on one second <laughs> all righty okay we had an impromptu <laughs> event <laughs> i'm sitting here doing the fucking show and i'm almost done i'm at the very last movie and i'm talking about valerian and uh, Chief's laying on the floor beside me, you know, just content, laying there, you know, and everything. And Mary had come over a couple times, and I, you know, was petting her. And um, um, she climbed up on the bed and started kind of scratching at the comforter. And I thought, well, she's just making a little nest there and everything. And then I saw her start to squat and pee. <laughs> so that was the that was the bee going, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> So then I had to gather up the comforter, take it downstairs, and uh, put it in the washing machine, and uh, well, let them out first. She was ready to go, but I mean, I was like, you know, well, we've only been—they were outside, and we've been sitting here doing this fucking stupid ass show for two and a half, two hours and twenty minutes, and uh, apparently she—that maybe that was a critique. So anyway, <laughs> hey, what are you doing? <laughs> Well, so anyway, I'm gonna wrap this one up uh, for the, uh, the the solo uh, uh, Sylvan Gold podcast. Uh, we'll be bringing one back to you soon. Again, this time I just kind of was like, okay, I've seen a whole shitload of fucking movies, and I just wanted to kind of get them off my chest while they were still fresh in the memory. Hopefully we will have a proper show with both of us coming back soon. And we will be saying for now, I'm going to go wash my comforter. And um, then I have to work tonight, so I have to go to bed. Uh, I will probably be going to see um, Planet of the Apes, or I just say Planet of the Apes, but War of Planet of the Apes, and um, Dunkirk. I want to go see that. Everybody says it's really good, and I like Nolan, so, you know, I missed uh, Wonder Woman. And Spider-Man, I've heard it was really good, but I just, for some reason, there's been so many fucking Spider-Man movies. I'm not sure I'm, like, you know, rushing out to go see Spider-Man. They did show the uh, new Star Wars trailer, and I think that's about the only trailer that I saw. But other than that, um, I'll probably, let me see what I got here that I'm going to be coming up uh, watching. I know that there are, I think, two more. 
Jim Brown movies that I, I'm going to watch because when I decided I wanted to watch some Shaft and Jim Brown movies, uh, there were, okay, I have Shaft in Africa and I have uh, Jim Brown in Slaughter coming up. So uh, I'm going to be watching those soon. And on the Netflix side, baby, what do we got over here, Daddy? Now, that's the one thing about this Netflix, um, uh, free Netflix uh, movies. Um, there are some, as you can probably tell by some of the reviews, there are some ones that are just kind of, there's a lot of uh, fives and on the scale of one to ten, there's a lot of, uh, but uh, there's a lot of fives. There's some that are a little bit below and some are a little bit above. <laughs> I have the void, uh, reservation road. I don't know what that is. Um, and I need to finish the immigrant and Gato Negro. I don't know what that is either. There's some and one called Abandoned. I don't know what any of these fucking things are. How the hell do they get on here? Get off my thing, you know. Um, so anyway, I'm gonna sign off for now. Uh, I gotta get ready and go to bed. I'm washing my bed now that Mary started to pee on. I think I I got her before. Luckily, it was a big thick comforter, so it just kind of sat on top there, and I gathered it up before it cut through. Uh, but the poor thing, she was ready to go. I I was in, involved in my in the entertainment industry and not paying attention to my child. Uh, all for your pleasure. <laughs> 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 <laughs>